0: Welcome to the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. When the infamous Goldstone Report excoriated
1: Israel and exonerated Hamas, UN Watch fought the report and changed the debate.
2: I am the former commander of British forces in Afghanistan.
3: I served with NATO and the United Nations, commanded troops in Northern Ireland, Bosnia and Macedonia, and participated in the Gulf War. Mr. President, based on my knowledge and experience, I can say this. During Operation Cast Lead, the Israeli Defense Forces did more to safeguard the rights of civilians in a combat zone than any other army in the history of warfare.
1: When Colonel Kemp's speech went viral, UN Watch continued to campaign against the Goldstone Report, and Judge Goldstone retracted. Democracy is a form of government based upon the principle of majority rule. Period. End of discussion. Now that's not very complicated. Majority rule. It's easy to understand, easy to sell to the masses, and, I might add, deadly. For example, what would you call a lynch mob? That's majority rule. There's only one dissenting vote, and he's at the end of the rope. Now, that's pure democracy in action. Now, but wait a minute, you say. The majority should rule, yes, but not to the extent of destroying the rights of the minority. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are no longer describing a democracy. We are speaking of a republic. A republic is a limited democracy. It's a form of government based upon the principle of limited majority rule. Limited so that the minority, even a minority of one, can be protected against the whims and passions of the majority. And how do you protect the minority from the majority? You write down a set of rules on a piece of paper. You say, this we can do, that we cannot. At the top of the paper, you write the word Constitution. And then everyone agrees to follow the rules no matter what the temptation. And when you're finished, you've created a constitutional republic.
2: about information out there because the mainstream media is not going to do it it's people like it's the an Joe honor that- it's an honor thank you so much we got to episodes
4: thank at tnt now tnt radio news for tnt radio news this is james o'neill president biden told reporters wednesday that palestinian terrorists have got to learn how to shoot straight one day after an explosion outside a hospital in the gaza strip
5: And I'm not suggesting that Hamas deliberately did it either. It's that old thing, gotta learn how to shoot straight. uh, And it's not the first time Hamas has launched something that didn't function very well. So I I don't know all the detail, but I do know the people at the Defense Department who I respect, the intelligence community that I respect. It's highly improbable that
6: Israel did that.
4: Hamas, which rules Gaza, claimed Tuesday that an Israeli airstrike killed about 500 people at the hospital, sparking riots across the Middle East and forcing President Biden to scrap a planned summit with Arab leaders in Amman, Jordan. But the White House said Wednesday it had determined the explosion was caused by a misfire on the Palestinian side. The Israeli government on Tuesday night blamed the Hamas allied group, Palestinian and Islamic Jihad, publishing intercepted phone calls and other evidence to support the claim. Representative Jim Jordan could try for a third day in a row to be elected House Speaker, though 22 of his fellow Republicans refused to back him in his second attempt. Several lawmakers are now openly pitching the idea of giving the Speaker pro tem. North Carolina Republican Patrick McHenry expanded authority to allow the House to vote on resolutions and bills. It's a move that would likely require buy-in by a significant number of Democrats, along with Republicans, and what has now been more than two weeks without a Speaker. Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib spoke to a rally calling for a ceasefire and the end of the conflict in Gaza. Think it's okay to bomb a hospital where children?
6: You know what's so hard sometimes is watching those videos and and the people telling the kids don't cry and like let them cry. And they're shaking, and some of you know this. They keep telling them not to cry in the Arabic. They do. They can cry. I can cry. We all can cry. If we're not crying, something is wrong. And so
4: I'm telling you right now, President Biden, not all America's with you on this one. The U.S. State Department has issued a rare do-not-travel notice for American citizens in Lebanon as large demonstrations erupted in the wake of recent violence in Israel and Gaza. Starting Tuesday night, huge crowds were seen headed towards the U.S. Embassy complex in Beirut. People flying Hezbollah, Hamas, and Palestinian flags were seen trying to storm the gate, and later fires were spotted at the gate in some outlying buildings. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says it seems like the public in the Middle East is overwhelmingly siding with the Palestinians.
2: Well, the horror of the Israeli Defense Force's strike on the hospital in Gaza has sent ripples and is cascading across the Middle East. Protests, mobs are forming. Embassies have been attacked in Jordan. The Israeli embassy was set fire to as the crowd went and headed towards the U.S. embassy. After that, in Beirut, crowds have converged on the U.S. embassy there. There have been uprisings all over the region. It seems like the public in the Middle East is overwhelmingly in support of the Palestinians. This is after being divided into various factions. This has always been the design of the West, was to divide the Arab world, to divide the Muslim world. It seems they're all coming together now in a way that nobody's ever seen before. It's almost like an actual organic Arab spring is really happening this time, but in support of the Palestinian cause. It's an incredible development and it could leave some governments in the lurch. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick
0: Henningsen. Good morning and welcome to the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. Five past five and uh, we've got an interesting programme for you this morning. But we'll uh, we'll have weather very shortly.
3: Jordan Peterson debunks the gender pay gap.
7: I'm interested in people being able to have different choices and having equality of outcome.
3: The
6: overwhelming proportion of people who are in prisons are male. Now, do you wanna equalize that? What about bricklayers? They're 99% male. We've got about three quarters of the population now in universities in the humanities and social sciences are female. Yeah. Are we going to equalize that? Men work more, longer hours. They work more dangerous jobs. They're more likely to move. They're more likely to work outside. They're more likely to participate in jobs in the STEM fields that are scalable. They make more money for those reasons. And that's all hidden under the idea that the reason that men and women make different amounts of money is because of their gender.
0: All right. Good morning. It, uh, it's time for the weather. Let's uh, let's check it out. We're having a few little technical issues here, but I hope to sort that out as the morning goes on. Well, thanks very much for joining me. Anyway, let's look at the forecast for all of New Zealand, valid until midnight tonight. Uh, first of all, the extremes. Whangarei have sixteen point five degrees. The lowest place, lowest temperature, I should say, is uh, in a place called Waiuru. Desert Road, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is the Desert Road. Castle Point is the windiest. Usually, it is pretty windy down there. 61 kilometres of wind per hour there, and the wettest place right now is Invercargill, but it's not too bad. 0. 0.6 millimetres of rain falling there. I don't know. Is it per hour? Is it? Not sure how it works. 0. 0.6 millimetres per hour. I guess that is. Uh, the temperatures right across the. Um, Right across the, uh, what have we got here? Okay, uh, right across uh, the whole of New Zealand, the main centres. Now, what have we got? Stewart Island, 9 degrees. Invercargill has 10. Dunedin is a little warmer again with 11 degrees. Timaru, it dips down to 5 degrees. Out of the Chathams, 12 degrees for you. Queenstown's on 11. France-Joseph on the west coast of the South Island, 10 degrees. And a little further north, to Westport uh, 11 degrees Nelson's on 10 Blenheim is on 6 degrees uh, across to the north island now the bottom of the north island Wellington 12 degrees masters in a bit cooler there 5 degrees this morning at this hour 7 past 5 Napier is um, they've got 12 degrees there along with Palmerston North New Plymouth's on 8 uh, Tapo and uh, Rotorua are both on 11 and 12 Gisborne has 14 degrees Hamilton 10 is on 13 degrees Auckland 14 this morning And uh, Whangarei has a very good temperature there Almost 17 degrees but not quite 16 and a half Kaita has 16 as well So Whangarei is the top, a top of the pops As far as temperatures go For um, 8 minutes past 7 Let's look at that short forecast For the um, cloudy periods we've got in Northland With occasional showers uh, Auckland and Coromandel partly cloudy with isolated morning showers. Cloud increasing this evening and scattered rain at night with easterly winds. So that will bring uh, quite a bit of rain. Usually when it's easterly, isn't it? East, northeast. That, that's when the that's when the wind, uh, rain starts to. Um Happened the pres- 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 rain. Bleety <laughs> James can't say it. V- vis- 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 big windows. <laughs> uh, Waikato to Wellington, including the Bay of Plenty and uh, the Central High Country. Also for Gisborne, Hawke's Bay, and Wairarapa, mainly fine. Some areas of uh, morning and evening low cloud or fog. For Nelson, Marlborough, and Canterbury, also Buller and Westland, fine weather for you, apart from isolated showers in Westland. And uh, areas of morning and evening low cloud or fog about the Canterbury coast, for Otago, Southland, and Fiordland, cloudy periods increasing, scattered showers about the fiords and Stewart Island, spreading elsewhere this afternoon, and finally for the Chatham Islands, mainly fine weather, uh, some morning cloud. Okay, uh, well, what have I got lined up for you today? All sorts of um, interesting things. Let's um, let's when I come back at a moment, we will have a look at. Uh, the front pages of the uh, newspapers. I call them newspapers, but they're not really, are they? They're just sort of online publications these days. Does anyone still get a newspaper delivered? I don't know. Now, if you, if anything I say or uh, you say probably won't be you won't be seeing me doing anything. But if anything I say and or if I have an opinion you don't agree with it or you agree with it doesn't matter. Give us a text, and um, I'll be reading out a few texts that I've been getting. I've been a bit. Negligent in um, reading out text that I've been getting from listeners, so i'll endeavour to do that this morning but the number here it's on the screen if you're on um, if you're on uh, rumble uh, but it is o two one 021-732-423. so that's new Zealand 021-732-423. if you're calling from overseas, which I doubt you would be although Australia you've probably got a free call uh, it's sixty four is our area code for the country code I should say so that's sixty four then two one seven three two uh 423 don't don't be uh shy i won't uh, bite your head off like some of them do uh 10 past 5 and i'll be back in a minute with uh, radio new zealand to see what they're up to
8: from beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles the tnt shop has it all browse our shop now at tntradio.live
0: all right It's happening this morning isn't it I had a good night's sleep too So there's no excuses for any uh, gaps in uh, transmission Well uh, the front page on the New Zealand Herald First of all a lawyer Uh, He argues that rapists' rights to name suppression Should trump victims' rights Now you think That sounds pretty bad The lawyer for a man who raped and sexually offended Against six girls when they were all teenagers Says the court should put the man's rights over the victims Wow what do you think of that? Should we have a bit more bit more of a look into it? Because there's a bit more to it than meets the eye. This story is put together uh, by the New Zealand Herald, of course. And uh, so the man who he... Now, well, he was only 20 years old. Uh, well, sorry, he's 20 now, but he was only about 14 to 17 years old. So I think that makes a little bit of a difference because it, you've got to weigh up the um, United Nations. Uh, they've got some rules and regulations on minors and uh, on youth offenders and so they have to take that into account I would think. Now the man, he, he's 20 now now he is sexually offended against six teenage girls when he was 14 to 17 years old he was sentenced to 12 months home detention last year. He asked for permanent name suppression on the basis that publishing his name would likely be, uh, cause extreme hardship at, or, and even endanger his own safety. The women connected to the man also applied to keep both their names secret. The Court of Appeal granted her name suppression but declined her application on his behalf. At a hearing in the Supreme Court on Thursday, the man's lawyer, Emma Priest, argued the principle of open justice did not apply to youth court and the idea of youth justice was to allow offenders the chance to rehabilitate. Publishing his name would also be against the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, which specified their interest should be put first, said Priest. However, she acknowledged the offender and the victims in this case were covered by the Convention, and both had contradictory interests. She said, obviously, the interests come up hard against each other. In this case, we say that the rights of the man and the woman in seeking suppression, which is protected, must trump, if you like, the rights of the victims. They have been able to uh, to tell everything, but the names of the two appellants, she said. I think there does need to be some consideration of what a publication actually achieved to the victims. However, lawyer, Crown Lawyer, that's Zaina Johnston, she said there is public interest in naming the man and the protection of the youth court did not apply after a person was aged 18. Yes, but you could argue that he committed those offences when he was 14 to 17, couldn't you? Naming the offender would not stop him from living a productive life, but would require him to take responsibility for his actions, she said. Accountability for behavior is a youth justice principle, Johnson said. She said it will make it more difficult, but at some point in his life he will be able to say, yes, yes, I did some terrible, terrible things when I was young. After that I got diagnosed with autism. uh, I've done these courses. I've learnt this. I now demonstrate how much I have changed my life. Hmm. The victims were asking for no more than the usual consequences an offender of this type would face, she said. Three of the victims who had waived their right to name suppression wanted the man's name to be published for the safety of others. The advocate, Ruth, or their advocate, rather, Ruth Money, said the hearing was the latest step in an arduous process which did not take into account the survivor's views or suffering. She said the suggestion that the man's rights should carry more weight than the victim's was abhorrent. She said, we are not talking about an allegation, we are talking about someone who has been convicted, who has admitted all of these multiple, I believe ten charges against a number of survivors. She said the community rights, and certainly the survivors' rights, should be privileged over anybody who has been raped, uh, who has been raping multiple women. Yes, this person was young when he was committing all of these terrible sexual assaults, but What's uh, uh, what's always lost uh, is uh, the victims. Um, yet the victims were, were young as well. She said. She said the survivors have been uh, gagged for long enough, and it's about uh, the impact of suppression on them. The justice reserves their decision. What do you think? Do you think his name should be released, or do you think that uh, he should have name suppression? It's an interesting one, isn't it? He's pretty young um it's a pretty pretty bad thing though I don't know fourteen gosh, I think you kind of know what you're doing at fourteen, don't you? maybe his parents maybe his father didn't didn't um maybe didn't i don't know what's the story and and is autism is that a, is that a good enough excuse autism I mean lots of people have autism brought on through the childhood vaccinations in my opinion. Is that a good excuse to go around raping girls? I don't think so. Not in my opinion. Anyway, what do you think? 021-732-423. If you want to text me through, you can. And uh, just talking about text there, I'll, um, I've got one here. I better, I better read this one out, because uh, I've got a few texts, actually. So I'll read, it. I'll read some of those out now if I can, if, I, if it'll let me. Let's have a look here. What are we up to for time? 17 past 5. And uh, for some reason, I can't open the... Open the jolly thing. All right, well, we'll come back to that. I'll have a look at that while we're doing something else. Uh, let's move on. Now, in sport, the Silver Ferns. This is just the front page of Radio New Zealand, rnz.co.nz. Uh Silver Ferns break the losing streak. The Silver Ferns kept their hopes of regaining the Constellation Cup alive with a 56-53 win over Australia in Invercargill last night. And uh, scrapping fair play, reinstating... Fair pay, I should say. (laughs) Fair play. wouldn't need a bit of that as well. Uh, Reinstating trials will make matters worse, uh, as that's what the union is saying. The Restaurant Association is looking forward to the national-led government scrapping fair pay legislation and reinstating a 90-day trial for people that want to go and work in their restaurant. But the United Union, uh, they see the potential move as dismal. Well, they would, I suppose, wouldn't they? Uh, fair pay. Mm, interesting. Uh, what else have we got here on the front page? Egypt to reinstate aid to Gaza as protest rock Middle East, according to Biden. But we do know, we do know that Egypt has been blocking aid, and so has Jordan. So it's not so much. I mean, the middle. I mean, do you realise that Israel? They are owed half a billion dollars in water. From the Gazans, they put they give them water. I th- oh no, electricity! I should say they give them water, and then they cut the pipes up and make uh, rockets out of it. But uh, electricity, I heard this just this morning. Uh, what was I listening to? I was listening to uh, Israel News Talk, and uh, yes, yeah, so it's half. It's, I think it's almost a. I think it's a million shekels, which is about half a uh, million shekels. Is it? Do, 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 do. Are we talking? No, it's a billion shekels. So we're we talking half a million dollars US the um, the Gazans owe Israel for electricity and then what happens is uh, they get behind and then they wipe it so they're basically getting free power they never pay their bills so there you go terrible what else have we got on the front page well it says here that suicide figures show small improvement is still the worst affected I'll have a quick look at that for you if you like um, what have we got here we've got the Mental Health Foundation his name is uh, Sean Robertson uh, and he is the one that they're talking to here. The numbers of suspected suicides in New Zealand has risen uh, over the past 12 months, albeit slightly, with Māori continuing to be the worst affected. The Chief Coroner's Office released provision f- provisional figures on Thursday showing the rate of suspected suicides for the year, ending 30th of June, was 10.6% per 100,000 people, up on 10.5% seen in the previous 12 months. But what was it before the COVID pandemic came out. That'll be interesting. This year saw 565 people die by suspected suicide, up from 551. Maori may remain the worst affected group, with 15. Point. suspected suicides, over that's per 100,000 people. Although figures are trending down, the latest figures, the lowest it has been since 2014, it remains higher than the 14-year average of 14.1 for the general population. So there you are, that's the uh, the figures there, and if you want the full details on that, you can get that from Radio New Zealand. Uber Eats, uh, they apologise after a driver delivers a repair bill instead of KFC... Now, for you younger ones that don't know what KFC is, that's Kentucky Fried Chicken with Colonel Sanders. Now, this story here uh, is by Crystal Gibbons, and uh, she said uh, she says that a man whose car was crashed into when his neighbour ordered Uber Eats has been trying to track down the driver. The rideshare it's a rideshare driver—was delivering food to a neighbouring house at around well, eight thirty on the fifth of October. Austin Liu. Whose car was damaged, said the driver cancelled the food order, wiped all information from the app, that's the Uber app, and did a runner. Liu said the crash left a dent in his car and damaged the front bumper. He had not been able to contact Uber himself as he did not make the order, but his neighbour had. Liu said Uber had shown no accountability for the accident in the screenshots of, of the response, Uber said it was not responsible for the incident and not legally obliged to provide financial assistance for loss or damaged property. Uh, Uber said it would, however, note the incident on the driver's account and further instances would leave, uh, would lead to a review of their a- uh, access to the app. Uh, if the matter was reported to the police, Uber said it would cooperate with inquiries. Consumer New Zealand communications manager Jessica Walker said previous investigations consumer previous investigations consumer had done um, had found Uber Eats was one of the hardest companies to track down contact details for. She said in cases like this if the person had the car's registration they could look up the driver's details on Waka Tahi, which is New Zealand Transport website and lodge a claim with the Disputes Tribunal. Without the registration details she said it became an internal issue between Uber and the driver. She said it's up to Uber each to find out who was driving the vehicle. Now according to the New Zealand Transport website also, they also advise that drivers need to provide their details to the owner of the damaged vehicle no later than 48 hours after a crash. If unable to find the owner, then police no later than 60 hours after. Liu wanted to see the driver held accountable, as well as contacting Uber. He'd also contacted KFC in Rotutuna, that's in Hamilton, uh, where the order was picked up from. But Liu said uh, KFC refused to help him identify the driver and said that he needed to go through Uber or the police. KFC was approached for comment but directed Radio New Zealand back to Uber. The response to inquiries made Radio New Zealand uh, made by Radio New Zealand on Thursday afternoon. Apparently, they apologized. This is what they said in their statement. Uber Eats takes all reports of incidents in our, on our platform seriously. We apologize uh, for this customer's initial experience with our support services. We are now working to contact people involved and support a resolution. That was an Uber spokesperson. So there you go, mate. Get the, the. I think it shows the importance of getting the registration, don't you reckon? I reckon. Life in the fast lane. No, we're not going to look at that story. That's an interesting one there. Concrete. Now, this is a tricky one here. Gosh. So this, this is a story about a concrete company and uh, a man... A worker at a Manawatu concrete uh, company, he lost his right arm when he had to pull himself from a machine and then run through the workplace seeking help. It was described by the judge as a remarkable display of stoicism. At one stage, the man fearing he would lose his life. Surgeons could not reattach the arm, uh, and the man, whose name is suppressed, now has to use a prosthetic limb. On Thursday in the Palmerston North Court, the employer, Dunlop, Drymix Limited of Fielding was fined two hundred ninety seven thousand dollars. He also had to pay the workers sixty thousand dollars in emotional harm reparation, a sum reduced by ten thousand dollars due to payments already made. There's no doubt that the defendant company had been remorseful and has done everything that is possible to assist the victim, Judge Jonathan Krebs said. Uh, Dunlop Dry Mix admitted a charge laid under workplace health and safety legislation of exposing a person to risk or of harm over the incident on the 26th of November 2021. The worker who had been at the business for five and a half years decided the, to clean the conveyor which transported dry concrete mix from where it was made to where it was bagged. The machine was not working at the time. Workers did not have to manually operate it or work near it and a row of cones was used to keep them away but the man removed these to clean the machine he fetched a metal hose and used a compressor air to blow dust from the conveyor belt but dropped uh, it in the machine when he went to retrieve it the machine by then was working judge Krebs said it was not clear uh, how it turned on as he uh, reached in to collect the compressor his fingers became caught between the belt and one of the rollers the judge said He said that, in his own words, he tried to pull back from the roller, but the roller had his fingers too tightly. He was unable to pull his hand out and was dragged into the machine. At one point, he feared that he would lose his life. In a very chilling passage of his victim's impact statement, he describes the pain and how the pain stopped when his arm was torn from his shoulder. At that point, and in a remarkable display of stoicism, he was able to run from the room where, the, where this occurred and make uh, the uh, accident known to other staff members. They immediately sprang into action to stem the bleeding, which could have proven fatal. Judge Krebs says the worker at one stage, when his arm was being gobbled up, looked up at the emergency stop and realised it did not work. It seems unfortunate, to put it extremely mildly and neutrally, that that was work that was working. I wasn't rather working. Dunlop. It wasn't working. Dunlop. Oh, goodness gracious. I'm sorry, I've got a bit of a croaky throat this morning. Dunlop Dry Mix, supporting a uh, worker financially, that's what they are doing. They took over the business from in, from receivership in July 2021 and had undertaken an assessment so they knew the risks of the conveyor belt. The judge said significantly more efforts than cones, tape and signs should have been in place to keep workers away from it. The judge reduced the fine because of the business's previous good character, remorse and a guilty plea. Defence lawyer Brett Harris, he said that uh, this was a terrible case and the most important thing was to have the best outcome and rehabilitation for the worker. The company is extremely taken aback, and has found it very difficult to take a business to take on a business that have this kind of injury for the first time, and their longer experience in business. Hmm. Uh, and then Harris said the worker was paid full wages until the beginning of 2022. Since ACC payments began, Dunlop Drymix has met the 20% shortfall compared with the worker's full salary, which the company should continue to pay this year. The previous company, which fell into receivership had lacked health and safety procedures but Dunlop Drymix made positive changes according to Harris a prosecutor Karina Sagaga she said the company did not provide training or instruction on how to clean the conveyor. She said as a result, the victim suffered a life-changing injury, amputation of his right arm. She said this was another failure of a company to have a guard on a piece of machinery. In a statement issued after sentencing, WorkSafe said the conveyor's off switch was in the next warehouse. And an emergency stop was disconnected and not working. It said prosecuting people from, rather, I beg your pardon, uh, protecting people from machines was a priority for Worksafe, and far too many workers were killed or injured in that way. She said life-changing injury could have been avoided if the machinery was properly safeguarded uh, to industry standards. Worksafe area investigation manager Paul Budd also agreed. Uh, Dunlop mix was uh, improved or they have improved their health and safety systems and has experienced uh, uh, providing uh, but its experience providing a warning for other businesses I'm not quite sure I got that right. Dunlop has improved its health and safety systems but its experience provided a warning for other businesses. Yes I agree now Uh, in a statement Dunlop mix said that it extended its thoughts and remorse for the injured worker Dunlop Drymix Limited has always prioritized the rehabilitation and recovery of the injured worker and our thoughts are with this incredible resilient worker as he continues with his recovery it said it accepted the responsibility for failures to ensure life system uh, safe systems are working uh, including the work uh, such as maintenance and cleaning of conveyors and legacy issues from the previous company I don't know, well what do you think? Do you think the um did you think that was a fair deal for the worker? Is he responsible? Uh he got I think the, the company was fined two hundred and ninety five thousand dollars roughly. Uh, where is it now Have I missed it out? I might have missed that out. Oh no. Uh, yeah $297,000 the worker only got $60,000 and then they took off this is just for emotional harm then taking off $10,000 and that was only because the company had been paying him while he was away like while he was off work so they they paid him full wages the whole time but you know why why would WorkSafe or whatever it's called whoever takes the money why would they be who who gets the $297,000 and why doesn't the worker get some of that? And uh, I talked about this yesterday. I just think it's it's crooked. you know that's all he gets. but then, on the other hand, what do you think? text me through on o two o two one seven three two four two three. Should the worker take full responsibility for his actions? who's responsible why is it the why is it the company is? I mean, I've been put in situations where I've been asked to do something that I felt was dangerous, and I just said, "Oh no, I won't be doing that, and here's why, and they said, "Oh, you're yeah, right oh fair enough." But, you know, they could fire you too, or they might just try and find a way to get rid of you because you're difficult or you're non-compliant. But I think it needs to be, and I think in that situation, then that would be when you'd go for the company. But do you think that the the um, workers should be responsible for their actions, or do you think the company should be? I mean, I think there should be some responsibility because of that um, safety switch being disconnected. That was pretty poor, and they had done a thorough check on the... On the um, the whole business, hadn't they? They'd done an evaluation of safety and they they found some issues, but obviously they didn't get onto them. Blimey. I still think that personal accountability, I do, personal responsibility in workplace incidents, if you ask me. That's my personal opinion. Okay, uh, so that is the New Zealand Herald. Uh, We've got another one here and I'll uh, bring it to you in just a moment. I just have to have a good croak. Uh, so that I don't continue to... I don't keep coughing all the time. So we'll do that, and I'll be back very shortly uh, with a bit more news for you.
8: The TNT shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live.
1: I'm a Palestinian. From 21 until 48, I carried a Palestinian passport. There was no such thing in this area as Jews and Arabs and Palestinians. There were Jews and Arabs. Who are
9: the most hated people on planet Earth right now are politicians and the media. They're trying to divide us. They're lying to us. Everybody's catching on and everybody's starting to get it now, right? We didn't get it two and a half, three years ago. Everybody's starting to get it now. I don't don't give a shit what the media does. I don't care what they do, what they say. They don't matter to me. They're not as powerful and they're not as influential as they think they are.
0: All righty then. Uh, it's uh twenty. what have we got? Twenty eight. No, yes, twenty eight minutes to six here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant. Uh, okay, so have that's. I've just about done. Oh no, just one more story here, RNZ, that I want to talk about. I'd like your opinion on that. Text me through. I, for some reason I can't read the texts out on this phone. I've swapped phones. It's not working. Now this is a story from Southland and uh, the school is the Catlin's area school in Okawa, way down in Southland. Now concerns have been raised after revelations the husband of a Catlin school principal is a convicted sex offender who attempted to rape a tourist in a toilet cubicle while armed with a knife. Good grief. I mean, you just wouldn't believe this, would you? Catlin's area school principal, Glenis Hanley's husband, her husband, Simon Melville, Melville was convicted of convicted of a serious sexual assault in February 2007. Now, it was a while ago, but still not that long ago, is it? In... Um, on the twenty uh, ninth of September this year, an anonymous individual sent staff and parents an email about Melville's past, with screenshots of a Dominion Post article describing his conviction attached. The emails, mel- <coughs> oh good grief. The email said that Melville was regularly on school grounds and participated in school activities, and his involvement needed to be addressed and discussed openly. Yeah, the article describes how Melville. High as Melville, high on drink and drugs, and armed with a knife, attacked a 23-year-old English female tourist in the toilet block of the Kaikoura camping ground on the afternoon of the 23rd of February 2007. He performed four indecent acts during the 10-minute attack, during which the victim was trapped in cubicle. In a cubicle, it said. uh, Following an early guilty plea, he was convicted on one charge of attempted rape three of sexual violation and assault with a weapon and sentenced to six years in prison. Hanley accompanied Mr. Melville and their children moved to the Catlins in Southland and took up the role of principal in 2021. The school uh, caters to principals years one, so it's year one to year 13. They do that down south, they go right all the way through. When contacted, Handley referred the Otago Daily Times to the School Board of Trustees. The Board Chairperson, Simon Walker, issued a statement yesterday which did not refute the claims. We are aware of some information being circulated anonymously and ask that any information being discussed or shared with you about any school community member is managed responsibly and with due consideration. He said it's important that our students' education and welfare remain the focus and they are not impacted by any community dialogue or media reporting. It went on to say that we take very seriously our responsibility and have the required policies and procedures in place to comply with all legislation governing our school prep operations. In an email to staff seen by the New Zealand Herald, Walker said the board was aware of some information being circulated about the spouse. Of a staff member. The Board of Trustees feels it's important to note that we are aware of this information and fully support all of our staff, the email said. Went on to say that we would respectfully ask that any information being discussed about any school community member is done so with consideration and care. It is important that our students' education and welfare, along with our staff's well being, remain our focus and they are not impacted by any community dialogue. A parent who received the anonymous email spoke to the Otago Daily Times yesterday on condition of anonymity. They said while the conviction raised issues, the situation raised were complex. It came down to matters of judgment, and Hanley should resign as a result. Goodness, it's uh, put everyone in a very difficult situation, it said. The parent of a former student who also did not wish to be named said the couple and their family were very nice people and deserved to leave the past transgressions behind. mister Melville, who's the convicted rapist, has done his time and like all of us deserve a second chance. Well I don't, gosh. I don't know if you'd be allowed to go near schools. (laughs) I just, I don't know, it's unbelievable really. Oh Why would you marry a a bloke like that if you knew that? Unfortunately, in any small community, you get nasty, small-minded people who are unable to look at the bigger picture. Well, I'm unable to. Am I a nasty, small-minded person? I don't think that he should be allowed on the grounds. That's what I think. It's just a very sad situation for everyone concerned. Well, it certainly is. Now, Melville, the convicted rapist, well, no, he's convicted attempted rapist, uh, but he's certainly convicted. He's, he's had his time in prison. Did he? Sh- did I wonder, he was convicted, but did he actually spend the whole six years? I'll have a look at that in a minute. Uh, it's a, He's a first offender. Good grief. Uh, he was released on parole after his first appearance before the parole board in 2009. So he only got two years in prison for this, six years in jail, but they released him. I don't think that's right. This is something wrong, isn't there, with our judicial system? The report obtained by the Herald said Melville was in pursuit of a rape fantasy when he sexually abused his victim. He pleaded guilty to the charges at an early opportunity and was seen as a prisoner who had demonstrated very good conduct. He'd undertaken rehabilitative work and acknowledged his problems with alcohol. Uh, It went on to say that we see the reports that have been filed as being very positive and Mr Melville is well aware of the impact of his offending on the victim. It found that he would not be an undue risk to the community if he followed through with the various parole conditions. The conditions include attending a community-based sex offenders treatment programme, an alcohol and drug counselling programme, and to not undertake any employment in the tourist industry, which brought him into direct contact with tourists. Education of um, uh, Ministry of Education Southland, uh, the leader Nancy Bells, she said the ministry was aware of information that had been circulated anonymously. She said all schools must have clear policies and procedures in place that comply with their governance responsibilities. She said any parents with concerns about the safety and well-being of their children should contact the school in the first instance. She said we have uh, received an anonymous complaint which was referred to the school to manage through their formal complaints process. Employer matters should be directed to the Board of Trustees as the employer. Mm. Daily, uh, that's the Otago Daily Times. I don't know, what do you think? 021-732-423 send me through your texts and uh, if I can get my phone working I'll, um, I'll read them out that's uh, I, don't, I don't think you should be allowed on the ground I don't think you should be allowed near flipping kids frankly I don't know I'm just like that I don't know I don't forget does a leopard change its spots is, you know, is he really is he really alright now I mean, what would make someone do that I mean, alcohol mm, I, could you blame it on alcohol A fantasy? What was it? A sexual fantasy? They said. Uh, I mean, what's he been doing? Has he been poring over porn? That's something you've got to watch out for, actually. Porn, you young chaps, if there's any listening, probably not. You don't like listening to old geezers like me. Um, It's twenty minutes to yeah, twenty minutes to six. We'll have the TNT Radio News at six. But um, what did I want to say about that? I don't know. I think that um, if you if you allow yourself to go clicking on porn and watching porn. Uh, that could that could lead to terrible things, and I'm, I'll guarantee you that he, it started off just by doing that, looking at pornography, uh, probably online. And who was it now? Um, Richard Dahmer, I think that's his name. The one that was a terrible um, uh, serial killer in the United States. He said in in an interview that it started off by just looking at porn, and then it just he just got worse and worse and worse and wanted more and more sexual gratification and then the next thing you know he's killing people killing women uh, as well to satisfy his lust it just uh, uh, you know it's bad news man you just got to keep sex to marriage and it's got to be healthy and no sex before marriage as well that's the you know that's something that I wish I'd really sort of (laughs) focused on when I was younger I mean I'm not being a hypocrite here I mean I I was pretty pretty out there but um uh, I think there's very, very dangerous to be you're looking at porn, and I think if, you, if, you, if you're doing that, you've got to pull yourself together and uh, you get a... <laughs> I shouldn't use words like get a grip, but you know what I mean. I mean, you should, you've should. you just got to go, get outside, get out and do something, play some sport or something, do something, do some work, get out, get away, get out of the house. Most of the wicked stuff happens inside, I've noticed, just at looking at things over the years. Um you know get inside the devil finds work for idle hands get out and do something chop some wood cut some trees down just be careful though you get work safe chasing you if something goes wrong and uh chop up some firewood you know do something get a sweat on uh do something physical build something it's, it's the bible says it's good for a man to work with his hands so uh yeah and uh and Jesus said you know even if you even if you just um, look at a woman as to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart, and that's as bad as actually committing adultery, taking another man's wife. That's what adultery means. And um you know, I'm people some people would disagree with that interpretation of it, but that's the they, I've studied it and that's the that's the take I get. Okay, so there you are, so that is the New Zealand Herald and uh, when I come back we'll have a look at uh, what are we gonna look at next? News Hub. Should we give them a try? We'll give News Hub a try, and we'll be back in a minute.
10: Jesus is dying on the cross. Two thieves are hung on either side of him. First thief turns to him and says, Come on, miracle boy from Nazareth, get us off these crosses. And then based on that, I'll believe in you. Come on, little miracle dust, Jesus. And when I see it, I'll believe. Second criminal turns to the first criminal and says, You idiot, we're dying here because we deserve it. But this Jesus, he's the innocent, holy, pure son of God. And the second criminal looks at Jesus and says, Lord Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom.
2: And then today he was. All
10: right. Now, Jesus didn't say, "Whoa, Whoa, 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 time out first you got to get baptized then you got to work in a soup kitchen and then you got to give all your money or half of it to the poor and then you got to genuflect no he didn't say that he looks the guy in the face and he says I tell you the truth today you'll be with me in paradise (sighs) okay so that's grace he didn't deserve it but he trusted in Christ Christ forgave him and gave him eternal life now if the guy would have gotten off the cross would he have tried to be baptized would he have tried to celebrate communion would he have gone to church would he have given money to the poor absolutely Would he have lived a perfect life? No way. None of us live a perfect life. Certainly I don't. But by the grace of God, he would have changed and become more the man that God created him to be than he was at that time. You see, the real issue when it comes to faith is not how many works have you done. The real issue is, is your faith genuine, sincere, or is
0: it insincere? And sincere faith will be shown in the way I seek to obey Jesus. It's quarter to six. Well, what do you think of that? Do you agree with that? Do you think that it's just by faith? By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's what the Bible says. The Catholic Church, they say no, 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 you've got to keep the seven sacraments of the church. You've got to be infant baptised. If you don't get baptised, you'll end up going to purgatory, or hell, whatever. Uh, And you've got to keep all the other sacraments as well. I can't remember what they all are. Confession got to pay your money if you do something wrong you're going to pay money Al Capone enjoyed being a Roman Catholic he could just go and, and murder people and rob banks and do all sorts of corrupt, corruption I don't know if he did he rob banks he was certainly a crook wasn't he Al Capone um, yeah and uh, but he was a Roman Catholic so he would just go along to confessional I suppose wouldn't he pay a bit of money to the priest and they'd say it's alright bless you my son you'll be right. no 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 you get, get off that they put a lot of trust in the priest don't they in the old confessional Okay, well, let's move over to uh, radio. No, we've done Radio New Zealand. I've done that one to death. I'm going to have a look at News Hub. So we're on News Hub now. The front page. I've just done a quick refresh. First home buyers hit a record high share of property market, according to Core Logic. Uh, let's let's. Well, I'll go. I'll give you the headlines, and then we'll go and dig in. How about that? So that's that one. And then from Australia, a Chinese student, uh, students rather in Aussie. Uh, New Zealand tricked by scammers into faking their own kidnapping. Oh, that's got you thinking, what's that about? Now, in the polls, polls reveal that Kiwis want a referendum on the Treaty of Waitangi. Now, do they or not? Or have I read that wrong? We'll get back to that in one in a minute. Transport a white elephant Luxon to scrap light rail. Auckland Mayor proposes cheaper option. In sport, netball, the Silver Ferns keep Constellation Cup Series alive with victory over the world champions Australia. And in rugby, Rugby World Cup on high alert. Fan zones at risk after repeated terror attacks in Paris. Police, uh, use of force by a police officer who broke a man's arm during arrest justified according to the IPCA, that's the Independent Police uh, conduct authority I think it's called in fashion oh no gosh fashion who's interested in fashion you can have a look at that yourself girls I've forgotten he left um, what have we got here conservation Dunedin scientist finds a new way to control possums after sequencing genome in world first oh yeah, okay and in food and drink Luxon reveals what he buys at, with his $60 weekly grocery shop I don't know all I'm doing is encouraging you to go and have a look at this propaganda publication aren't I News Hub. Uh, All right, let's look at the first-home buyers. According to CoreLogic here, it says that uh, first-home buyers have hit a record high share of residential property market, accounting for about 28% of September's purchases, new data has found. CoreLogic Chief Economist Calvin Davidson, he said this was due to the lower house uh, price list competition from speculators or investors, plus low deposit uh, allowances. He said, however, that may take a slight turn following the government changes. Uh, In CoreLogic's latest monthly property data on Thursday, Davidson said first home buyers are dominating the market in most cities. In Auckland and also in Otautahi, oh, blow you... Oh, why do they do this? Because I, I missed out the first bit there, Tamaki Makara, because I'm not reading that out. Uh, it's Auckland. And then they got me with the next one. It's Christchurch. So in Auckland and Christchurch, they made up 29% of the purchases. Independent economist Tony Alexander's October survey also showed first home buyers remain strongly interested in purchasing property. His survey showed a net 59% of respondents said that they were getting more inquiries from first home buyers. This tells us that the extent to which young buyers are driving the upturn in the housing market is not easing, and if anything, it may be strengthening. There you are. So what do you think about that? Owner occupies moving house, 26% of purchases, and mortgaged multiple property owners, 21% of purchases, have been relatively quiet compared to normal in the third quarter, according to Davidson. Activity among those groups could pick up following the National Party's election to government last week. What else did he say? But we're not convinced it will radically transform the subdued recovery that has commenced. However, Alexander said investor inquiries are at the highest level since the 20, uh, 2020 year and borrowers are fully op- uh, opting op- of for 18-month to 24-month fixed terms. Ah, uh, Seasonal patterns of activity now now have been uh, disturbed by the general election. National campaign on... They campaigned on reinstating tax breaks for property investors, but they're not likely to flood the market again, according to Davidson. They are still restrained by 35% uh yes 35% required deposits that's a lot isn't it for some people mm maybe they got got them down to 5% 10% was pretty normal 20% i think is a good a good sort of a benchmark then you're pretty safe aren't you so he says that they are still restrained by this 35% required deposit along with low rental yields and high mortgage rates the increased uh confidence to buy when prices stop falling could bring a bit of demand too, as no one wants to buy a house and find out they could have had it cheaper later. Residential property sales have increased for five months in a row, up 8% since last September. Total property listings are now at 31,200, about 15% down a year ago. We're still seeing low flows of new listings each week, which combine with the rising sales volumes. Uh, seeking stocks of listings on the market have dropped. A drop in total listings could lead to more buyer buyers crowding the market. Mm, that's true. Uh, it says here that new listings have also dropped since a year ago, with 7,316 homes put up for sale in the four weeks to October the 8th. Again, that's down 15% from the same time last year, but David has said that they were still rising during uh, spring. Average property sales have hit the bottom of the market nationally in September, according to Davidson, after falling for 18 months. Falls in some areas were offset by gains in others. All residential properties in New Zealand now total $1.58 trillion compared to Australia with $10 trillion. Three weeks ago, the uh, ANZ Bank, that's Australian owned, isn't it? Yes, the australia New Zealand Bank, said the nationwide median house price, could rise eight to $812,000 by the end of the year, up from September's $780,000. The strong labour market record high net immigration and changing demographics could put upward pressure on prices. In some retail banks, they predicted that the Reserve Bank, they've given it a Maori name, but I refuse to read it out, uh, the, Ma- the Reserve Bank will keep interest rates higher for longer, which Davidson said is a significant challenge. Average weekly rents were up 7% in September, compared to a year ago, reflecting higher wages, but also tightening supply and demand balance as, as, as migration soars in New Zealand. The gross yield of rental properties has increased to 3.2%, up 2.6% uh, during most of 2022. When it comes to mortgages, about 54% of current home loans by value are due to rollover into higher rates, over the next 12 months, Davis has said inflation had passed its peak and the full effects of the rising official cash rate are yet to make their way through the economy. Mortgage rates are close to or already at their peak. And uh, that is a News Hub story there. And uh, I think I didn't do too bad considering I hadn't read it before. <laughs> OK, so what else have we got here? Uh, a white elephant. This is We're looking at transport. Oh, well, let's just look at the polls first of all. So we're on News Hub. A Read Research poll, that's a News Hub Read Research poll, reveals whether Kiwis want a referendum on the Treaty of Waitangi. Ah, what do you think about that? O two one seven three two four two three. Text me through what your opinion is. As New Zealand awaits for the 570,000 special votes to be counted to confirm the final result of the election, parties are remaining tight-lit on how the government negotiations are going. Uh, One, well, Winston Peters has been caught, you know, him and his team, they're down there in Wellington, so obviously uh, things are looking better for them. Uh, One major issue to address is whether to accommodate Acts bottom line of a referendum on the Treaty of Waitangi. Out if there is, and it's a fair referendum in my opinion. I should just keep reading and not have my opinion. We'll do that at the end. Okay, let's do that at the end. Okay, so um, the latest poll reveals that Kiwis aren't keen. Now, what was that again? Major. you write any? Not keen. Not keen to what? Not keen to do it. If I not read this very well? Referendum. Not keen on a referendum. They don't want a referendum. Okay, Christopher. Christopher's. Uh, Uh, The Christopher craze of uh, taking off, or is taking off, at least at Cockle Bay Primary School. National leader and incoming Prime Minister Christopher Luxon was swamped by children during a visit on Thursday. That's nice. I don't think the other guy would have. Luxon chose... I've got a bit of a soft spot for him now, though. Chris, now he's... uh, Chris um, Hipkins, now that he's gone. And now I know he's not a homo. He's married to a nice girl. She looks really lovely, actually. Um... What's her name? Tony with an I. So Luxon, he chose his old stomping ground as one of his victory, on his victory lap. It was a big blue thank you to New Zealand as, a wee, as we wait in limbo land. Not really. We're not really waiting in there. What does Seymour say? Seymour has a policy to rewrite the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. Do you think that he'll that they'll push that through? He wants to to go to a referendum. I think if there's a referendum, I don't know, why would you scrap it? There's nothing wrong with the Treaty of Waitangi. I think I would vote to keep it as long as it's read the way the words are on the page. I mean, words have meanings. (laughs) If you just look at it, there it is. But there's all these arguments, you know, the Maori version says this, and then there's another version. There's all these versions. It's pretty straightforward. There's only three, um, what do you call them, three um, uh, sections, or um, probably not the right word, but there's three uh, three parts to it. What would you call it? Oh, I can't think today. Can't think. 5-2, don't let me forget the news (laughs) Um, anyway Seymour has a policy to rewrite the principles of the treaty, I don't know why it needs rewriting, I think it's absolutely fine Uh, the discussion is not divisive, Uh, the current policy directive is divisive the way uh, to heal that division is open, honest discussion well you'll have to kind of agree with them on that in a way, so maybe there should be a referendum on it, and I think I don't think people want to scrap the Treaty of Waitangi I think it was a good treaty. Um, it's just that it's being turned inside out, isn't it? They're trying to change the meanings of words. So that's we that wee story. And uh, what else have we got here? Um, there was one more that I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, t- transport, yes, in Auckland there, um, the incoming Prime Minister, Chris Hipkins, he's going to scrap light rail. Auckland Mayor suggests a cheaper option, so he's not sort of disagreeing with him, is he? And it comes after the national promise to scrap the former prime minister Jacinda Ardern's plans for the transport link within its first 100 days in office. I wonder if they follow that through. The proviso from Wayne Brown is that the project would have to be built at a fraction of the cost of previous options. For seven years, the last government clung to its uh, ever more costly. Oh, there's a big thing over the top. I can't read it. There, costly Auckland light rail dream. But as costs rose, so did the scepticism, not least of all from the current mayor. They completely lost the sight of any rational economic judgment. So stop, uh, stopping thinking again, uh, what does Auckland need, according to Brown? He said, to start again, they need to dump what they've got and get the snouts out of the trough. was oh, all sorts of comments like that. But far from dismissing the idea out of hand, Brown's looking overseas for solutions. He said the network in the French city of of Angers, I guess that's how you say it, costs uh, $53 million per kilometre, up against uh, $375 million, uh, which he described as being the cheapest option for the route linking the city centre to the airport. He said much cheaper a rational way of fitting in what Auckland needs for its overall transport plan for people and freight, I think that's what, he and I agree. A transport advocate, Matt Lowry, agrees. Mm, good on you, Matt. Costs could easily be slashed, he said. We consider, and we could deliver it a lot cheaper, and uh, that uh, means. That it, 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 what's happened to you? Have had a brain brain function? Had just had a stroke, and that and what that could mean is uh, instead of building one line, we could deliver three or four lines. Yeah, look, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Incoming Prime Minister Christopher Hitkins said that we'll talk to Brown, but the spend of up to $300 billion will be better put to other transport priorities. He said we want to cancel light rail. We think it's been a white elephant. He also said we've spent up to $150 million over the, a number of years. It hasn't progressed anything. Luxon wants to completely rule it out. As you've seen in our Transport for the Future policy, there's 13 roads of national significance. There's four public transport projects, three of which are here in Auckland, he said. Uh, He said the projects would be a game changer and would help people move around the city easier. But Lowry agrees with Brown, that's Mayor Brown, Uh, change the plan, don't scrap it. We need to address how many buses we have in our city centre. We need to make it easier for people to catch public transport. We need to upgrade our town centres in places like Balmoral, Mount Roskill and Mount uh, Eden Valley. Yes, Eden Valley. Those need uh, needs all ag- still exist and they all still justify the need for investment in light rail. Auckland Light Rail Limited released a statement to NewsHub, saying that it understands the incoming government will have a large programme across a wide range of portfolios it needs to consider and work through. They are already in brief... The, uh, they are already... ready Sorry, they're ready to brief the incoming minister when required. Oh, there you go. OK, uh, now, I'll tell you what. I've um, been introduced to a new man. Uh, he's a geopolitical, anal- a, a geopolitical a political analyst... Having trouble getting the words out today. His name is Peter Zion. That's not spelled like the the Jewish the Zionist, thing, which I am. I'm a Christian Zionist. Uh, no, it's um, it's Z A I H A N. And uh, a new uh, a fr- a person that I, I consider him a friend. I've had a good long conversation with him. His name is John. I won't give you his last name. And he introduced me to this fellow. So we'll be hearing from uh, we'll be hearing from Peter Zion, too. Uh, a little bit later after the news. Okay. So here's the news coming up very shortly. Gosh, I missed that altogether. That was lucky, wasn't it? Gosh, sorry about my volume. I can see that it's been way up. I must hope it's not distorting too much.
8: Play of this hour. Go to episodes at
4: TNTRadio.live now. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Sidney Powell, a former lawyer for Donald Trump, has made a sudden guilty plea to charges of conspiring to overturn the results of the 2020 U.S. presidential election. The lawyer, often referred to as the Kraken lawyer. Acknowledged her involvement in six counts of conspiracy to intentionally interfere with the performance of electoral duties during an unexpected appearance at the Fulton County Court on Thursday.
10: Titled a plea of guilty form, is this uh, your signature as well on the second page?
4: Yes, sir. Uh, Thank you, ma'am. This decision to accept a plea deal marks a significant reversal for a lawyer who vigorously promoted conspiracy theories regarding the alleged election theft. As part of her sentencing, she was spared jail time and instead received six months probation. However, her move has sparked speculation about whether she might cooperate and provide information related to her previous involvement with the former president. Powell learned her nickname in 2020 when she referred to her legal efforts against Joe Biden's election victory as the Kraken. Japan could increase the cost of public transport to try and combat over-tourism, as Britons in Japan could soon be faced with new bans and rules to follow. This includes more expensive train fares and a ban on photos in some areas. This comes as parts of Japan have struggled to cope with an increase in tourists. Tourists in the country. Prime Minister of Japan Fumio Kishida explained this has made it difficult for residents to go about their daily lives. Speaking this week, he said in some areas and during certain periods, there has been an impact on the lives of local residents due to inbound tourists, such as bad manners. He explained those living in Japan have been disrupted by tourists, and new bans could help with this. Tourists will face higher fares if traveling on trains. This is to be used as a deterrent rather than a make profit. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak shared the latest from his talks in Israel, following a joint press conference with Benjamin Netanyahu. It's right that Israel exercises its right to self-defense, it has not just the right to protect its citizens, the duty to protect its citizens and ensure that something like this can never happen again. It's important that the conflict doesn't escalate regionally, that's why I'm talking to as many people as I can across the region, I've already done that and I'll be able to see more people in person on this trip, no one wants to see this conflict escalate and indeed the UK has various uh, military assets into the Mediterranean to prevent regional escalation. So some of our surveillance aircraft, for example, are ensuring that armed shipments don't find their way to people like Hezbollah. The German government wants to prioritize weapons deliveries to Israel amid its conflict with Hamas. According to unnamed government officials, commercial applications from companies for armed exports will be processed and approved with priority given the current situation in the Middle East. The report comes after Chancellor Olaf Scholz expressed support for Israel and its conflict with Hamas, saying that there is only one place for Germany, that place is at Israel's side. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says that it's more bad news for Ukraine.
2: Well, hardly a day goes by now where you don't see bad news for Zelensky in the headlines. And look at this latest article here and this report saying that Germany is rerouting some of its support away from Ukraine and over to Israel. So yet another main European sponsor that looks like they're kind of backing off of the Zelensky regime in Kiev. They don't want to be in the open-ended proxy war anymore. And this latest conflagration in the Middle East has provided a real convenient excuse for a lot of countries to do just that, get out of this Ukraine project that they really probably never wanted to be in to begin with, but were strong-armed into it by the United States. Now Israel is attracting all of the cash, all of the arms, and it's the new cause du jour. They're very, very unhappy in Kiev. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen.
0: Thank you, Patrick. It's five past six. Good morning. This is a TNT radio
8: encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live.
6: The claim that the wage gap between men and women is only due to sex is wrong.
7: But do you agree that it's unfair? If you're a woman, not necessarily. And on average, you're getting paid 9% less than a man, that's not fair, is it?
6: It depends on why it's happening. I can give you an example. There's a personality trait known as agreeableness. Agreeable people are compassionate and polite. And agreeable people get paid less than less agreeable people for the same job. Women are more agreeable than men.
7: Again, a vast generalization. Some it's women not generalization. are not more agreeable than yes, men. That's
6: true, but- That's right, and some women get paid more than men.
7: So you're saying that, by and large, women are too agreeable to get the pay rises they deserve? No,
6: I'm saying that that's one component of a multivariate equation that predicts salary. It accounts for maybe 5% of the variance, something like that. So surely the answer... So you need about another 18 factors, one of which is gender. And there is prejudice, there's no doubt about that. But it accounts for a much smaller proportion of the variance in the pay gap than the radical feminists claim.
0: Goodness, that's, um, that's a hard pill for her to swallow, isn't it? I remember watching that interview. I think he handled it very well, very well indeed. OK, let's look at weather, shall we? Yes, let's do that. Uh, the extremes, first of all, for the country, for New Zealand. The highest temperature has been recorded right now at seven minutes past six, uh, 16.5 degrees in Whangarei. The lowest temperature, 3.8 degrees in Waiuru. And uh, the windiest place to be at the moment is Castle Point, with 61 kilometres per hour wind blowing through there. It's still raining in Invercargill, but not overly 0.6 millimetres of rain there. The temperatures across the main centre, Stewart Island 9 degrees, Invercargill quite warm 10, Dunedin warmer again 11 degrees, and uh, Chatham Island is quite toasty too for this time of the year down in the South Island, 12 degrees there. Uh, even Queenstown has 11 degrees. Timaru's on five. Christchurch 10, along with France Joseph on the west coast. 11 degrees in Westport. Blenheim's on 10, and Nelson is on sorry Blenheim's on six, and Nelson's on 10. I beg your pardon. Uh, Wellington in the bottom of the North Island there, the capital city, 12 degrees. Masterton a little bit cooler, five degrees. Hamilton's on 12, along with Palmerston North. Did I say Hamilton? Are they on 12? No, they're on 10. Napier's on 12, along with Palmerston North. Uh, New Plymouth has 8 degrees, Tarpo's on 11, uh, Gisborne has 14 degrees at the moment, did I say Rotorua? 12 degrees, uh, 13 Tauranga, and uh, Hamilton, of course, 10 degrees, Auckland, 14, Whangarei, almost 17 degrees, Kaitaia, 16 degrees. Well, let's look at that short forecast. Well, cloudy periods and occasional rain for Northland, Auckland and Coromandel has partly cloudy weather with isolated morning showers. Cloud increasing this evening though for you in Auckland to Coromandel and a scattered light rain. You can expect that later on tonight with easterly winds. Waikato to Wellington including the Bay of Plenty in the central high country. Uh, also for Gisborne and Hawke's Bay and also the Wairarapa. Mainly fine weather. Some areas of morning and evening low cloud or fog. For Nelson, Marlborough, and Canterbury, also Buller and Westland, fine. Apart from isolated showers in Westland and areas of morning and evening cloud uh, and fog about the Canterbury coast. For Otago, Westland, and Southland, cloudy periods increasing. Scattered showers about the fjords and Stewart Island, spreading elsewhere this afternoon. And uh, for the Chatham Islands, you have uh, mainly fine weather, some morning cloud let's look at the weather for the weekend shall we Uh, tomorrow Saturday the North Island occasional rain from Waikato to Gisborne northwards mainly fine weather elsewhere but occasional showers in Hawke's Bay and the Wairarapa tomorrow for the South Island it's going to become fine in the west but showers in the south spreading elsewhere uh, across the divide, I still haven't found out what the divide is I don't know text me through, what's the divide in the South Island, tell me what that is, I'm not sure Gosh, I didn't think I'd be able to put the microphone back on after that one. Uh, Sunday. Extended forecast for Sunday in the North Island. Showers in the east, easing and becoming isolated uh, later on. Uh, Fine spells elsewhere, but isolated showers north of Taupo. In the South Island on Sunday, mainly fine weather in the west. Scattered showers elsewhere, clearing in the late... uh, in the south, I should say, towards the afternoon. Monday. What's it going to be like when you go back to work? Well, in the North Island, fine weather in the south isolated showers with fine spells elsewhere in the south island on monday isolated showers in the northeast clearing then mostly fine uh, a few showers developing in southern westland and fjord later in the chathams your extended forecast just a few light showers for you and south westerly winds okay uh, in one moment i'll be right back and we'll have a look uh, just finish off news hub and then we'll go to uh, stuff and see what they're up to and then we better get over and have a little bit of a gander and see what's happening in israel
4: i believe the natural order of the world is god men and women and when we try to confuse women and say we're equal to men and that we have an ability like that we should be able to control men that's when evil I mean, happens I don't think there's equality no, with no, men and women re- re- at all right right, right. But, but i think, no, but I, think I think we're to supposed it. to yeah. i think we're supposed to submit to men's authority Damn. and i think when we don't that's when evil happens and so typically when when there's a dysfunction in the family it's because the woman was trying to impose her will on the man
0: Goodness, what do you think about that at uh, 12 minutes past six? You think that's right? Oh, boy, I bet that gets a few people riled up. Now, uh, before we go, let's just go and have a look at... uh, We're still on News Hub, and this is to do with the police. The use of force by police officers who broke a man's arm during an arrest is justified. That was according to the IPC... What do they call it? The IPCA. That's the Independent Police Complaints Authority. And have you noticed they've all got tats now all, most just about all of the police just about everyone's got tats, but a lot of the police have tats. You know when I was a boy, the only people that had tattoos were prostitutes, criminals, and sailors. but now everyone's got them. so you not you're not really original anymore if everybody's got them in fact you you'd be more original, you know sort of more sort of stand out from the crowd if you didn't have any any uh, tattoos, any bodily desecration. Now, the police watchdog says the actions of an officer who broke a man's arm while arresting him in South Auckland were justified. The Independent Police Con- Conduct Authority said the officers fract- he fractured the man's arm while putting him in handcuffs. That's a lot of force used, but then the, you know the guy might have been resisting arrest. Uh, on the On the the day the incident happened on the 10th of December last year police had chased two men who were suspected of robbing a taxi driver at gunpoint in Mangere well I think if it's <laughs> gunpoint I mean you know I think it's justified I really do I mean if you're dealing with someone that that's you know an armed robber so this was in Mangere Mangere we used to call it or Mangere if you um, if you want to you can you can pronounce it any way you want I do not mind just not on my show uh the the pair fled a stolen car and crashed And they hid in the roof of a nearby house. The armed defender squad confronted them and asked them to surrender. Police said the pair did not uh, respond at first, but one eventually complied and came down the ladder. Officers took the man to a nearby bedroom and restrained him. One of the officers fractured the man's arm while trying to put him in handcuffs. That doesn't seem right of him. He came down the ladder. I mean, you'd have to be there, but it's always your word against them, and they're always going to believe the police first unless there was actually video footage. So he came down the ladder, and then they wanted to put him in handcuffs, or, and they broke his arm. It doesn't seem right to me. Why would you do that if he came down the ladder and sort of handed himself in? Anyway, so when interviewed by us, Officer A, we're not allowed to know his name, That stated that he could not recall specific details of the incident. Ah, well, that's dodgy, isn't it? That's dodgy when they talk like that. This is the officer uh, already feeling a bit um, doubting that it was unnecessary force, but here they got off. Let's 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 read on. Uh, He did recall Mr. X was struggling and preventing his arm from being freed to be handcuffed. Uh, preventing his arm from... Okay, that stopped him from being handcuffed. Um oh, I don't know why he would do that. Why would you come down the ladder and, you know, hand yourself in and then fight to be handcuffed? I mean, everyone's all going to be handcuffed. I don't know about that. Mm. Uh, he recalls hearing a popping sound. Yuck. And Mr. X exclaimed, his right arm was broken. The IPCA, the Independent Police Complaints Authority, report said the officer claimed the man was resisting arrest. but he, How could he be? He just came down the ladder to hand himself in. Hmm. Doesn't seem right, does it? Eh? What do you think? 021-732-423. Uh, 021-732-423. You can text me through. Do you think it's right? I'll just finish off here. The officer claimed the man was resisting arrest and had his arm underneath his body. Underneath... The, what was he on the floor? Oh, OK. The man was taken to hospital for treatment. The Independent Police Complaints Authority said the man who suffered the arm injury had refused to engage with its representatives during the investigation of the incident, apart from a brief telephone call. Without any opposing evidence, the authority concluded that the officer used justifiable force. Police acknowledged the IPCA's findings... That's brought to you by Radio New Zealand, and it's uh, here available on newshub.co.nz. Uh, perhaps if he'd spoken to them, uh, he might it might have been a different outcome. So it sounds like he was tight-lipped about it, didn't want to talk to anybody. So yeah, so the so that's what happens, I suppose. So that's what they do. They do tend to do stuff like that, uh, judges and the, the like. Okay, so what else have we got? We're still on um, News Hub. There, that's the. Um, I think I've just about done them all, have I? Yes. Well, why don't we move over to stuff and have a look at that. Now, no holding anything back. Anxious All Blacks look to avoid semi-final pitfalls. You will forgive Ian Foster if he's not quite as as relaxed about his team's prospects against the Pumas uh, as pretty much everything else on the planet. Oh, I don't know what he's talking about there. Uh, perhaps I am not very good today. Okay, so th- th- just like a magazine, this thing isn't it hopeless. I might give it a miss. They've got pretty much. E- we've got just about covered up everything. Haven't covered it up. <laughs> we've covered everything, I think. We can have a quick look at. W- they've got one here on airstrikes, um, silver ferns. It's all the same things, isn't it? Palestinians trapped in Gaza find nowhere safe during their relentless bombing. Um, you've got to remember that um, propaganda on both sides is part of warfare. And so we have to remember, I mean, those people that, uh, that have been uh, sort of attacking embassy, the Israeli embassy, uh, we found out that it wasn't Israel at all that uh, bombed the hospital, the Baptist hospital in Gaza Strip. Uh, it was an actual fact. The jihadis, the terrorists, uh, they fired off a missile and it uh, misfired. And uh, it exploded over a car park in the hospital, and even even the fact that you know the, the building's still fine, uh, and the three to five hundred people ex- deaths is exaggerated, totally exaggerated. Obviously, a few people were injured, possibly killed, but it's just so hard to tell, because the they are very skilled at um, at pumping up the numbers. They've been at it for decades, and they've got. Uh, if you go on YouTube, uh, might not be on YouTube. Used to be on YouTube. They might have suppressed that information, but uh, it's called Pallywood, and uh, so you, you basically, you know, named from Hollywood, Hollywood, Pallywood, Bollywood. So Pallywood, they they're all acting, and uh, that it looks as though people are being rushed into ambulances, or you know, they've been injured and all this sort of stuff, or they're under fire and all that. But it turns out it's all just scenes and acting, and they've got the cameras there, and uh, it's just pretty much they do that, and they do that. Um, there's a certain place I think they do that on one of the borders near yeah the border with Gaza I think it is and uh, so yeah so watch out for that Pallywoods there's a lot of acting going on and we fall for it don't we now my mother used to say something that was uh, very very wise advice she would say believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see I like that and that was well before all the videos and all this online stuff She told me that when I was a boy back in the 70s. Believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see. I think that's sound advice. Now, a former Tuvalu government secretary is running a cleaning company in Blenheim. In 1997, uh, Tuvalu made headlines after it was predicted to be one of the first countries uh, lost to climate change. So he moved over here, did he? I suppose he did. Now, where is he? In, Mal- in uh, Marlborough, I think he is. Oh, Perhaps I shouldn't be going on to the story. Let's have a look. No, I'll leave you to it. But look, that's a success story. He's there in, in Blenheim, in Marlborough. He's um. He's doing well over here. He's come out from, from the islands there, the sinking islands, and they're blaming that on climate change, aren't they? Okay, uh, so I've had enough of stuff. I find it sometimes it's good, and other times it's terrible. I wonder if I've just on the. I'll just try again and try hit national news and see if that's going to improve. Ah, a little bit better now. Uh, restored, a Chevrolet Roadster is ready for rally. Oh really? Uh, John Campbell's ninety-three-year-old vintage car was a pile of parts when he got it home thirty years ago. Ah, uh, okay. okay, Yeah, it's all very magazine-y so I'll leave that uh, let's pop over to Israel now let me see if I can I, I for some reason I cannot give you Reuters I don't know why sometimes this happens uh, I thought perhaps that it was my uh, here we are, I've got Reuters now let's have a look at international news from Reuters uh, the US economy strengthens oh, now it's gone I'll go back see if I must have clicked the wrong button there oh, we're really having trouble today, aren't we? The news wire. Here we go. The U. Oh, now it's gone again. Oh, it's come back. I see. It's just put a banner up top, which I'm not used to. The U.S. economy's strengthen and uh, strength and con- uh, continues uh, tight labor markets could warrant further Federal Reserve interest rate increases. That's the uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell. He said that yesterday overnight for us in remarks that appear to push back against market expectations that the U.S. central bank's rate hikes uh, had reached an end. In New York, Reuters, They, you may never have to read another news story in your life if you have artificial intellig- intelligence that can digest all the web's information and serve up a summary on demand. Now, if I were to read, this is Google, if I want to um, go into that story, I've got to pay money, so we're not doing that. This is Google, they push uh, deeper into AI, artificial intelligence, publishers see uh, fresh challenges now in China Hong Kong and I also want to um, bring you this fellow called Peter Zion uh, he's a political, a geopolitical analyst Peter Zion it's Z-A-I-H-N and uh, he's having an interview with Joe Rogan and we'll bring that to you before seven as well uh, hopefully I won't forget okay uh, country garden broad uh, it's called bondholders they're seeking urgent talks with the troubled property developer after it missed a 15 million dollar uh, coupon payment, a repayment it was, uh, putting it back, putting it at risk of default, according to three sources with direct knowledge of the matter. And in Gaza, according to Reuters, Israel is vowing to wipe out Hamas in a relentless onslaught on the Gaza Strip, but has no obvious end game in sight, with no clear plan on how to govern the ravaged Palestinian enclave, even if it triumphs in the battle. Hmm, well, what do you think? I think they're going to go in and take full control of the Gaza Strip. And my personal opinion is that's what they need to do. Protesters demanding the release of hostages taken by Hamas, a planned rally in New York Times Square on Thursday, as President Joe Biden faces mounting pressure to leverage every diplomatic tool to secure the freedom of any American captives. They all need to be released. In Venezuela, state-run oil company, PDVSA, has begun contacting customers with crude supply contracts uh, amid the temporary lifting of U.S. sanctions. Two people familiar with the the matter, that's what they said on Thursday, moving to resume cash sales to global refiners. Uh, In Paris, the third quarter at the... uh, all I can't pronounce those French words. No, I'm just going to leave it out altogether. <laughs> Five people jailed in Venezuela. Oh, we're not interested in that, are we, Venezuela? Used to be a rock star. Um, i will just try and find something here that's interesting. Uh, US to send two drone dome Oh, here we go. Uh, the Pentagon plans to send two Iron Dome missile defense systems it had previously purchased from, from Israel back to the country to defend itself against inbound missiles, a US official and congressional aide said earlier today. Okay, well that is, um, I'm having a terrible job with croakiness today, and I don't smoke cigarettes, uh, but uh, it's almost like back in the days when you used to smoke and you'd always be coughing, wouldn't you, coughing up stuff? So I think if you're coughing, if people smoke and they're coughing, there's a problem, isn't there? It probably means your body's saying, don't smoke, I would think. Uh, When I come back, we will have a look at... uh, um, NZ News Essentials and see what they've got to say. But And also, we'll hear from Peter Zion uh, in an interview he did with Joe Rogan. It's uh, a little bit long, about 15 minutes, but it's well worth it. Very interesting. He talks about China, and so that's news that I don't think many of you would have heard uh, heard about anyway. And he's, his take on it is very, very interesting. It's 25 past six, and we'll be back shortly.
8: What percent of the atmosphere is CO2 that we're chasing here? I'm sorry? What percent of the atmosphere is CO2 that we're chasing here? Because you talked about climate change. I, I don't know the percentage of atmospheric gases. You don't know the percentage of CO2. atmosphere. What I can tell <laughs> you is that climate change is real. We've got to do something about it. Yeah, this one's and called we, autumn,
2: sir. So
8: sorry?
3: This one's called autumn right now, so yeah. Uh,
8: I'm sorry, I couldn't make out what you said, sir.
3: This climate change right now is called autumn, yes.
8: Yeah, that's, that's the seasons changing, which mm-hmm. respectively is not the same thing as the climate changing. And as somebody who is hoping to retire in the 2050s and who has kids who will be old enough to ask me, as they're getting to their 30s, whether we did enough to deal with climate change or whether we just did what was convenient, I take that really seriously. Reclaiming
3: my time. Thank you, Mrs. Secretary. The trillions and trillions we're going to cost our kids to chase a tiny percentage of CO2 will bankrupt all of us, unbankrupt our economy and ship it to China for all the other reasons.
0: Oh, what do you think about that? I think that's, that's absolutely right Now, um, we're going to hear from Peter Zion We'll do that uh, very quickly, right after this I don't know what it's like to be a minority Asian Because I come from Asia We're all Asian over there, alright I don't always like to be like a minority I encountered Asian stereotypes for the first time When I moved to America Never encountered Asian stereotypes before All these Asian stereotypes, like Asian people are good at math I didn't know that In Asia, we're all good at math. I didn't know that was a skill set. I didn't know square rooting seven was difficult. I just did it. Just did it again in my head. For fun.
3: The Joe Rogan experience. The rich world was a population column from 1945 to 1992. And with the end of the Cold War... The developing world became a column in 1992 until now. The problem is that this is all temporary, because birth rate keeps dropping, people keep living older, and your column eventually inverts into an open pyramid, upside down. And now you no longer have children, you no longer have a replacement generation at all. And there aren't enough people in their 20s and 30s to buy everything. And there aren't enough people in their 40s and 50s to pay for the retirees. So this decade was always going to be the decade that most of the advanced world moves into mass retirement and the economic model collapses. And next decade was always going to be the decade that that happened to the developing world. And we find out recently that the Chinese have jumped the ship, and this is their last decade too. So all of the globalized connections and consumptions that create the world we know, we are at the end of it. And we have to go back to a world where trade is more focused on the countries that have a better demographic and security infrastructure because the Americans are no longer patrolling the global oceans anymore. So we're losing the security ramifications of an open system. At the same time, we're losing the demographic capacity to support it in the first place. And that's all going down right now. So when you're, when you're saying that China has 10 years to go,
9: what, At most, what do you mean by that?
3: Well, we now know that they've lied about their population statistics, and they're, they overcounted their population by over 100 million people, all of whom would have been born since the one-child policy was adopted. So this is one of those places where they've got more people in their 60s and their 50s and their 40s and their 30s and their 20s. Now,
9: what was the logic behind the one child? Was it that
3: they were overpopulating? Mao was concerned that as the country was modernizing, the birth rate wasn't dropping fast enough, and that the young generation was literally going to eat the country alive. So they went through... A breakneck urbanization program which destroyed the birth rate at the same time they penalized anyone who wanted to have kids and both of those at the same time have generated the demographic collapse we're in now
9: and the problem with that also was that they wanted male children
3: yeah there's a cultural aspect to that too and obviously men can't have kids on their own and what is the like ratio to men
9: to women in the younger people in China now
3: Uh, Before the data revision, with the last set of lies, it was about 1 to 1.2. It was the most distorted in the world, even more than Sri Lanka, where there had been a civil war for 30 years. Uh, Since then, we don't have good sex-by-sex data, but it's undoubtedly worse. And so what
9: are the other problems that they're encountering that leads you to believe that they only have 10 years left?
3: Well, without young people, we've seen their labor costs increase by a factor of 14 since the year 2000. So Mexican labor is now one third the cost of Chinese labor. Their educational system focuses on memorization over skills. So despite a trillion dollars of investment in a bottomless supply of intellectual property theft, they really haven't advanced technologically in the last 15 years. Uh, Mexican labor is probably about twice as skilled as Chinese labor now, even though it's one third the cost. Uh, They've consolidated into an ethnic based Paranoid, nationalistic cult of personality, and it's very difficult for the Xi administration to even run it because it's not an administration anymore. No one wants to bring Xi information on anything. So, like Putin lied to his face, for example, last, last February about the war saying, "Why would I invade Ukraine?" And you can see in some of the the presses, the the defense guys in the back of the room, like they didn't want to say anything because she has a history of shooting people he doesn't like. Uh, And so the Chinese were the only country that was caught with their pants down when this all went down. Uh, The Biden administration is basically taking the trade policy of Donald Trump and running it through a grammar checker and putting it into institutions. So we now have tech barricades that prevent the Chinese from buying the equipment, the tools or the software that's necessary to make semiconductors. In fact, he went so far as to say any Americans working in the sector have to either quit or give up their American citizenship. Every single one of them, either quit or was transferred abroad within 24 hours. So the tech system is stalled. They don't have the young people to go consumption-led. They're completely dependent on the U.S. Navy to access international trade. They are the most vulnerable country in the world right now. And based on how things go with Russia, we're looking at a significant amount of raw materials falling off the map, specifically food and energy. And the Chinese are the world's largest importer of both of those things. So there, there's no version of this where China comes through looking good. And the challenge for the rest of us is to figure out how do we, in as smooth and quick as a process as possible, figure out how we can get along without them. Because they are going away. And they're going away this decade for certain.
9: Well, if you say they're going away, clearly they're not just going to lay down. They're no, they'll are going to try die. to adjust. Yeah, they'll die. Right? They're, um, <laughs> they're, but... But how so do you think this is because like what is other than well here? Here would be a big problem, right? Mm -hmm. Taiwan like if if we impose the kind of sanctions that we've imposed on Russia If if China decides to invade Taiwan and the world stands up and the world imposes sanctions on China
3: How does that go Uh, very ugly for the Chinese? So, you know, say what you will about the Russian economy. It's corrupt It's inefficient. It's not very high value add But it's a massive producer and exporter of food and energy. You put the sanctions that are on the Russians on Beijing, and you get a deindustrialization collapse and a famine that kills 500 million people in under a year. And the Chinese know this. They can only push so hard. Uh, Also, you you can make the argument that if the Russians succeed, they actually solve or at least address some of their problems. Even if the Chinese were able to capture Taiwan without firing a shot, it doesn't solve anything for them. They're still food importers. They're still dependent on the United States. They're still energy importers. And even if they take every single one of those semiconductor fab facilities intact, they don't know how to operate them because they can't operate their own. And their own are among the worst in the world, not the best. Now, the, the only reason, in my opinion, to be concerned about a Taiwan war... Is because Xi has so isolated himself that when one person is making all the decisions and that one person refuses to access information to make the decisions, strange stuff happens. And when you say refuses to access, what do you mean by that? He does not have normal information flows anymore. Like even at the height of the Trump administration, when Trump was basically isolated himself from the entire intelligence community. Uh, he was still getting the daily briefing. There was still information being put in front of him. But G is so isolated himself. He doesn't want to hear anything except for what he wants to hear. And since no one knows what the status of the conversation with the voices in his head in on any given day, no one wants to bring him anything unless they're ordered to. How do we know this about him? Because there's no one to listen to anymore. That's one of the fun things about Russia versus China right now is that the the Russian information security is so poor that American intelligence is literally listening in on everything. But in China, we can hear into the office, but there are no conversations happening. What do you mean by that?
9: What do you mean? Like, so no one talks to him about anything. Anything. If if you look at, so he's the... just terrifying to people.
3: Yeah, exactly. Because he
9: murders dissidents. He murders anybody that is... he doesn't murder
3: everyone. But there's a lot of people, people in prison,
9: and there, yeah. well, there's also a lot of billionaires that got disappeared. Yep. Right? And
3: a- any dissent. Yeah, uh, it's you're either executed or exiled, intimidated into silence. There's there's a variety of options, and if you look at the the third party Congress that we had late last year, that's when they select the Politburo. Everyone on the Politburo now is a personal flunky. There is no one from a different faction. There is no one that has a history of being incompetent. And what is their plan? The Chinese?
9: Yeah. Do we have any idea of what (laughs) their plan to get out of this is?
3: Nationalism. Uh, If you know that the economic situation is going to go to pot then you have a couple of options. Option one is you try to cut a deal with a country that can help you out, but the only country that could do that is the United States. And the sort of strategic surrender that the Americans would require is not something that the Chinese would accept. So think about Germany in 1946. That's the scale of support and control that the Americans would cons- would insist upon for giving the Chinese a lease on life. Uh, But if you go with nationalism, give people a non-economic reason to support the state. So even if you lose your job, even if you can't feed your family, I'm Chinese, I'm Han, that's enough. That has been the strategy for the last couple of years. Will it be enough to preserve the CCP? Too soon to know.
9: And they're also in – they're in the middle of the worst aspect of the pandemic for them ever,
3: Yeah, now, which is
9: very strange for us because <laughs> we're on the other end of it, yep. right? So what happened over there?
3: Uh, well, let, let me start by saying I think it's safe to say that no country has really figured out how to handle this well. Right. Uh, right. Second, I will say there are seven different variants circulated in Beijing right now or in China right now. Three of them did not exist two or three months ago. And it takes about six months of data for you to get good information on the R-naught and the lethality. So, we just don't know. And then third, in part because of Xi, uh, when you're a one-man state, all policy and all authority starts and stops with you. And unless you're providing very clear guidance on everything, which is impossible for one person to do for a whole country, especially one the size of China, uh, the bureaucracy either goes into automatic or does nothing. Well, right now it's doing nothing. So the data decisions in China are not to gather data and figure out what we can do. It's to, instead of gathering data and lying about it, we're just not going to gather any data at all. So we're not going to know how bad these strains are until they get out of China and circulate in the rest of the world for six months. So the lowest fatality estimate that I have seen that I consider credible is that they're going to lose a million and a half people. Just from COVID. Just from COVID. That assumes no broader breakdown in the health system, which we are already seeing.
9: And is this because they don't have natural immunity because of the the rigid lockdowns that they encountered?
3: Yeah. You know, from from a plus point of view, they did keep the virus out of the population for almost three years. So no one has natural immunity. But we also know that their domestically generated vaccines aren't great. Uh, And most of the countries that used them in order to get their kind of first batch then moved on to a Western model that worked better. So they had a
9: twofold problem. They did not have vaccines, and they didn't develop natural immunity.
3: And now everyone's getting hit all at once with a virus that has at least 50% more communicability than the measles. And their overall health... Is worse than ours. Uh, Diabetes, as a percentage of the population, is higher. They don't have a critical care system like we have. uh, And their hospitals are are really their only line of defense. They don't have a clinic and a doctor system in the towns like we do. And
9: what about nutrition,
3: education, and the understanding of- Yeah. uh, When you industrialize very, very quickly, especially in a culture like China, where food is considered a sign of wealth, getting fat is the thing to do. So we've got a lot of diabetes, a lot of hypertension, a lot of overweight people, and over two-thirds of the population lives in a metro region, and their air quality sucks, too. So we're kind of seeing, like, the worst aspects of the Indian system and the American system all in one.
9: So, obviously, the United States government is aware of all these things, correct? Well, let's
3: not oversell it, but broadly.
9: Broadly. Have you been brought in to talk to people? Because you have a very comprehensive view of this that includes energy and... Uh, nitrogen fertilizers, everything. Like, if, if, has anybody ever brought you in and said, "Can Peter, can you give us an assessment of what what we're really dealing with sure. versus what le- each individual expert has to contribute to it?" Because you're giving an overhaul, an overall sort of comprehensive view of this.
3: Uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that I am doing some work with the Defense Department. I can't talk about the details, obviously, but um, I think it's. I think it's good to give credit where it's due. Uh, One of the many, many things about the war on terror that reshaped the U.S. government is that we focus all of our intelligence apparatus on supporting the troops, which is reasonable. Uh, So instead of thinking, you know, it's 2045 and you're thinking over the horizon, who's our foe going to be and what kind of tank are they going to use so that we can start preparing, which is what we used to do. It instead became there's someone in the other side of this door and the third floor of this building at the edge of town in Fallujah what side of the door the hinges are because we need to know if we need to blow it off the hinges or kick it in so we focused all on that second thing for 20 years which means not only did we lose all the analysts who knew how to think forward we lost all the people who trained them 20 years is a long time so even if everyone in dod or the intelligence community disagrees with everything i have to say and I have some friends, I have some colleagues, I have some non-friends who listen. The fact that they're trying to rebuild that capacity is a really good sign. And the fact that they started rebuilding that capacity so soon after the war on terror ended means that they recognize the hole in the
0: system. This this is a good sign. Okay, it's 22-7 here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with me, Grant Edwards. Geopolitical analyst, his name is... Peter Zion, and it's about uh, Z-A-I-H-N. You can catch him on YouTube. Very interesting. And uh, next week I'll have uh, I'll have some more from him as well. I think he's very interesting. So thank you to John for putting me on to him, uh, my new friend John. Okay, um, I've got a story in a moment, and uh, it's about a nurse that was suspended. I'll be back in a moment. A nurse who was suspended, uh, well, she shared COVID-19 vaccine misinformation. They call it misinformation. But was it? You let me know. What do you think uh, after I've uh, read the story to you? Uh, Her name is, this has been updated on the 13th of October, this story. And uh, so a nurse and a midwife who was suspended for sharing misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines has been suspended from practice for 12 months. In a decision released on Friday, the health practitioners' disciplinary tribunal found Auckland nurse Sarai Tepu guilty of professional misconduct on her, for her Facebook posts and an interview with the PMN—that's the Tokelauan uh, publication—in 2021 about the vaccine. Uh, Tepu she also distributed let, uh, letter templates entitled "Refusal for Vax" for parents to give their children. Uh, children's school. Uh, Tipu posted on Facebook that she uh, did not trust her peers and urged people to stay away from hospitals. Uh, most peers pricked. Most peers pricked. Oh, okay, that's the quote-unquote. Uh, that's obviously then most of them, they liked the jab. Uh, the Professional Misconduct Committee told the tribunal that Tipu, she was a respected member of the Pacific community, and as both a registered midwife and a registered nurse had a lot of influence. The practitioner is Tokelauan and Tuvalian and therefore has the ability in her capacity as a dual registered health professional to influence marginalised and vulnerable communities who were prioritised by the Ministry of Health in the government's COVID-19 vaccine rollout. In a written decision dated 7th of September, the tribunal noted that religious tenor of some of her comments uh, were an aggravating factor, given the importance of faith within some parts of the Tokelauan community. It said Tipu had uh, she did not attend the hearing in November or send a lawyer undermined confidence in the vaccine at a time when vaccination rates in the Tokelauan community were lagging behind. Uh, she was censured and suspended from practice for a year following the hearing. The 12-month suspension took effect from 7th of September when the written decision was released. Within six months of returning to practice, she must complete a course in professional ethics. Tipu was also ordered to pay 40% of the hearing's cost, $9,890.75, to the Professional Conduct Committee. And twelve thousand nine hundred and sixty two dollars and eight cents to the tribunal. Wow we and we know now that it's all a load of bollocks, that the vaccine didn't work, that COVID nineteen is not a problem. Everybody everybody's woken up and they're still coming after this woman. You know, she's a soldier, really. Good on her. Good on her for doing that. Hmm. Um, Okay, so we've got another story here um, about Otago's extreme student initiations. I may have mentioned this one earlier in the week, but uh, we'll have a quick look at it. The story by Tom Kitchen and um, holding eels up like a trophy prize, uh, eating the feet off live duck. Oh, no. Passing out in a wheelie bin while you're smoking. These are some of the crazy stories about Otago University flat initiations that haven't been hitting the headlines recently. Um, They have been, I should say. In today's podcast, I think it's a podcast, so you can go over and see that one. The heading for it is Otago's Extreme Student uh, Initiations. There we are at Radio New Zealand. Now, I'll just have a quick refresh on News Hub and see if there's any new news. Uh, the front page there, the first home buyers that's hit a record high since the property uh, shares of property market, according to CoreLogic. I'll just give you a little bit of that because we did talk about that after I think just after five it was between five and six. Um, first home buyers, here we go. Uh, CoreLogic chief economist uh, Kelvin Davidson said that that this was due. Or what was due? First, I better start at the top. First home buyers have hit a record high, a record high share of the residential property market. Uh, accounting for 28% of September's purchases, new data has found. CoreLogic chief economist and uh, that's, that's all he is, just the chief economist, uh, his name is Kelvin Davidson, he said it was due to lower house prices, less competition from speculators and investors, uh, plus low uh, deposit allowances. So that is their CoreLogic's latest monthly property data on Thursday uh, it Davidson said the first home buyers are dominating the market in most cities. Auckland and Christchurch, they made up 29% of the purchases. Independent economist Tony Alexander's October survey also showed first home buyers remain strongly interested in purchasing property. There we are. And of course in transport, um, the uh, Prime Minister, the new Prime Minister uh, in waiting, What do you call him? Uh, He thinks that Auckland light rail is a white elephant. Christopher Luxon's to scrap the light rail, and he campaigned on that, didn't he? Auckland Mayor, he uh, proposes a cheaper option, so he doesn't want it scrapped altogether, but he wants a cheaper option. In sport, Netball Ferns keep the Constellation Cup Series alive with the victory over World Champions Australia. And also in sport, a Rugby World Cup on high alert. Fan zones at risk after repeated terror threats in Paris and police, their use of force by by the police uh, and that broke a man's arm during an arrest was justified according to the Independent Police Complaints Authority. And uh, that is it, I think. A poll reveals that Kiwis want a referendum on the Treaty of Waitangi. I don't know, what's it about? What 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 would the referendum be about? Um, what, scrap it altogether? Uh, I don't think it should be scrapped. I think there's nothing wrong with the treaty. It's good. It's just the way that we're, people are interpreting it. Um, does he want to get rid of it? Let me see. Awfully long. I don't think you would want me to read that. And I'm having great difficulty. I can't get anything out of Reuters now. I had it there for uh, Times of Israel. Completely blocked. So I have no idea what that is. Just cannot get to it. I've tried everything. Uh, I have my ad blocker off so it's not that um, the only thing I can give you is Israel National News and it's very tricky to read actually, I don't know how they make up their websites but you click on them and then you get you get all sorts of things happening it's uh, terrible but so these are the headlines the latest update at 8.30pm so that is I would think, let me just check on the time so yes, so it's 8, it's 10 to 9 right now at night, last night for us so it's Friday, so it's Thursday at 10 to 9 in Israel, in Jerusalem Uh, so I will just get back to the headings and I'll just give you those so just 10 minutes ago, northern Israel bombarded by missiles from the north and the south and a border police officer killed in a counter-terrorism attack that was just um, half an hour ago and uh, UK Surveillance Aircraft ensure Hezbollah doesn't want... I'll, I'll try and click on it. It's very difficult to read uh, because you've got all these pictures everywhere and, um, gosh, I wonder if I can get down to the bottom of this thing. It doesn't look like... It's just unbelievable. It's just uh, almost impossible. And uh, it's just sort of happened. I don't know why. You click on something and you can't actually see anything. It's just photographs and it almost looks like advertising. So I don't know, maybe there's something going on. Maybe maybe the IDF are um are blocking news coming out of the, the newspapers. There could be. Maybe I should go to the IDF and find out what they think. Um I'll have a quick refresh then and we'll just look at Reuters for some international news and see if there's anything there that might interest us. Hong Kong. Uh country garden bondholders, I don't know, are we interested in that? Not really. Uh Israel. Israel is vowing to wipe out Hamas in a relentless onslaught on the Gaza Strip. But has no obvious end game in sight, with no clear plan on how to govern the ravaged Palestinian enclave. Well, I don't know. Is that what it is? Or are they just... I think they're remaining tight-lipped. You see, because the Americans, they don't want them to. They just want them to go in and clean up and get rid of um, Hamas. But I don't think that's possible. I think they actually need to go in and take over the Gaza Strip. And there's many in Israel that believe that as well. Uh... Hmm, that's that's my personal opinion. I think that they they, they have a clear plan and that is to go and completely take control of Gaza or a major part of it at least anyway which gives them more of a buffer zone so people, you know, can't be affected by rockets so easily. Uh, So the head of the World Jewish Congress he met Pope Francis on Thursday that's overnight for us here and asked him to help secure the release of the hostages taken by Hamas. Now, it's interesting, that, because according to Alberto Rivera, he's he a uh, Spanish Jesuit. Back in the 70s, he, was, um, he met up with a chap, and if you go to chick.com, that's just like chicken, C-H-I-C-K.com, uh, they produced, and Jack Chick was, um, he's passed away now, but he, uh, a friend of mine actually met him in the 90s, actually, over in, in California, so he's a cartoonist. And so Alberto they met. Alberto, um, is a this is this um Spanish Jesuit who became a Bible believing Christian, got out of the Roman Catholic Church altogether, and he met Jack Chick. And uh so Jack he told Jack Chick all of his his story basically and Jack Chick turned it into um because he's a cartoonist, he turned it into sort of like comic books and little little tracks as well, little small ones, little like gospel tracks we call them. But these comic books, is a series, it's called the Alberto Series, and it's very interesting. It starts off with his life as a little boy going into the convent school, and then how he uh, rose up within the Catholic Church, and then eventually ended up going to Rome, uh, and he was a Jesuit. He became a, He was a Spanish Jesuit. This is Alberto Rivera. A lot of people doubt that, but I don't, because um, a friend of mine's actually met Alberto, as well as Jack Chick, and um, has had you know some long conversations with him. And I think he is the real deal. Uh, anyway, um, so he says in one of them. I think it's called the Prophet. Uh, this is the comic you can go and look, look for. And we've got an agent here in New Zealand. I think they're down in Wellington. But if you go online, you can find out. And it'd be a really good way to teach your kids about what's going on. Just give them the comic series. A great gift. In fact, I've got a friend who's a comic collector. He's not a Christian, uh, and he said they'd be actually have a bit of a cult following now. The uh, the Jack Chick uh, chicks. The comic, the Jack Chick um, comic books, very um, and becoming quite profitable. He's got quite a collection of them, even though he's not a Christian himself. Uh, but anyway, so the in this one, in this particular one called the Prophet, uh, it goes into uh, he. This is um, Alberto Rivera, the Jesuit priest. When he was in Rome, he was taught by a cardinal, Cardinal Bea B E A, as far as I can remember, and he he taught the students that uh, the. Uh, Islam, the the Muslim faith, was invented by the Roman Catholic system of religion, was invented by them. And the Quran uh, was written by cardinals, and they used a woman called, uh, this is back in the whenever it started, whether it's 7th or 8th century or whatever it was when when it kicked off, the Muslim. And what they wanted to do, the Roman Catholic Church wanted to um, use the Arabs in the Middle East. To help them, like a, like as an army, to help them get rid of all the Jews because the Roman Catholic Church believe in a theory called the replacement theory where they believe that every time the word Israel is mentioned in the Old Testament it's actually now refers to the Roman Catholic Church so any mention of Israel belongs to them. So they had a vested interest in getting rid of the Jews uh, and many people say that they were behind Hitler, helped him get into power and they were basically, Hitler was just carrying out Roman Catholic orders to annihilate all the Jews. Most of the SS were Roman Catholics as well, I think, if not all of them. Uh, so anyway, um, so the, the cardinals wrote the Quran and they used a woman called Fatima, and she went and seduced uh, Muhammad, and uh, anyway, he started off with, with the religion, wasn't very successful. Uh, they said that he wrote it in a cave, but he didn't at all. It was written by the Roman Catholic cardinals, uh, and uh, they used her. Always got to be a woman involved to convince her. Anyway, so Fatima. That's why they have Fatima. So the Catholics have this. Um, they worship the uh, the Fatima image, and so do the so do the Muslims. They they hold her in esteem, and also you'll notice the Muslims actually have rosary beads as well. A lot of people don't realise that, but they do, and so their religions are very close. And I think it's very interesting that there's always been a good relationship between. Uh, Islam and the Roman Catholic, um, especially the Pope, uh, any Pope, whoever it is, there seems to be there's they see, and they have a lot of similarities. So I think so the whole idea of of uh, Rome uh, inventing Islam all those hundreds of years ago was to um, so that they could not only just kill all the Jews because of the replacement theology that the Roman Catholic teach. Uh, yeah, that's what they teach the church. Um, but also to kill all the Bible-believing Christians as well. They wanted to get rid of them, and that's really what the um, the Islamists have been doing, haven't they? They target first of all the Jews and then the Christians. And uh, Tamar Yona on her show at Israel News Talk, she says they're going to co- they're coming after us first, and then once they've wiped us off the face of the map, they want to come after all the Christians. And if you read in your Bible in Matthew where Jesus is Matthew 24 where Jesus is speaking to the disciples, it says that... Um, uh, I'll, Actually, I'll read it for you. I'll read that now. If I, I think I've got time, have I? Yes, I'm sure I've got time. Uh, where are we now? Matthew 24. And I'm reading for the King James Bible. And I'll start at verse 4. And Jesus answered, because they'd asked him, you know, what's going to be the end of the world and, you know, all that. And Jesus answered and said... Uh, He said, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. That means in different places, places that are... Off the earthquake, um, uh, what do you call it, the fault line. Places that they've never had earthquakes before. And I think we're getting that now, aren't we? All these are the beginning of sorrow, said Jesus. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. We're seeing that now, aren't we? And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another. So even the Israelis, is it, is it the Israelis, or is it the Christians? could be both. Uh, he was over there speaking to the disciples you could argue either way couldn't you and they shall hate one another so people that are Christians or Jews believers they shall begin to uh, hate one another and many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many and because iniquity shall abound the love of many shall wax cold Uh, but he that endureth unto the end the same shall be saved And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Uh, When ye therefore see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whosoever readeth, let him understand. Let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of the house." Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, and woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days; but pray ye that your fight flight rather be not in winter, neither on the sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation such as not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor no shall ever be, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. Then, if any man say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Therefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in a secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For whosoever or wheresoever the carcasses, is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the, uh, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the Son of the Son of Man the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming that's Jesus in the clouds that was the way he went in the clouds of heaven uh, with power and great glory and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds uh, for uh, from one end of heaven to the other so now you want to learn the parable of the fig tree When its branches are tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. There ye go. But in that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, nor uh, but my Father only. But as in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall be two in the field, one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. One shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, because you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this that if a good man of the house had known at what, uh, uh, uh that sorry, a good known, a good man had known in that or in what watch, in other words, that what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is faithful and wise? A wise servant, whom the Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom the Lord then, uh, when he come, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over his goods. But, And if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in the day when he looketh for him not, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, let's go to TNT Radio News. We've got, we'll get half of it. It went on a bit longer. Sorry about that. So we'll just catch the end of them and then I'll let you know what's happening with the weather and then we'll get on with the next hour. ...and instead received six months probation. However, her move has sparked speculation about whether she
4: might cooperate and provide information related to her previous involvement with the former president. Former Speaker New Gingrich pushed Representative Jim Jordan for speaker in an interview with Fox News host Sean Hannity.
8: The fact is, I have no faith that you can put this together right now. Now, again, if I'm all for Jordan having an opportunity tomorrow, I hope he can win. I'd much rather have a new speaker than have a speaker pro tem. But I wrote my newsletter on the grounds that my hunch is that 200 votes is about what he's going to get. 200 votes uh, is is much higher than Scalise got, and Scalise was the majority leader, uh, and My sense from talking to people in the House tonight is that in the next vote, he might actually get fewer, not more votes. If that happens, we can't sit around and suck our thumbs and hope the world will wait until the House Republicans get their act together.
4: Russian President Vladimir Putin said on Wednesday that the strike on a Gaza hospital that left hundreds dead should serve as a signal both to the Palestinian armed groups and Israel to end the hostilities. Speaking to journalists at China's Belt and Road Forum in Beijing, Putin described the powerful explosion that rocked Al-Ali Arab Hospital, killing at least 500 people, according to local authorities, as a tragedy and a terrible incident. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says Russia is one of the only countries calling for a ceasefire.
2: Almost no Western leaders, no Western governments have come out and condemned uh, the strike on this hospital in Gaza. This is one of the worst strikes that we've seen throughout this conflict or in any conflict. And it seems strange that the IDF has changed its story twice. They initially came out, boasted about it, then deleted the tweet and then made up another story that Hamas uh, fired a rocket and blew up its own hospital. It's like we're getting Nord Stream 2 pipeline vibes here. But it's good to see at least one country coming out and calling this a genuine humanitarian disaster, but really a war crime as well. And that's, of course, Russian President Vladimir Putin. Few countries have come out calling for a ceasefire. Russia's one of them, but nobody else is doing it. This is very strange. It's left a lot of people scratching their heads thinking, do people want more war? Is this the new normal? For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen.
0: Thank you, Patrick. It's five past seven, and we'll have weather next.
8: From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live.
0: All right, the highs and lows, the extremes uh, for New Zealand. Wangare, 16.4 degrees is the highest temperature. Waiuru at 5 degrees is our lowest. Castle Point with 57 kilometres of wind per hour is the windiest place to be. In Invercargill it's got a bit more windier, double the amount of rain than we had an hour ago. 1.2 millimetres of rain, I guess that's per hour, is it? The temperatures across the country in the main centres, uh, Stewart Island 9 degrees Invercargill 10, Dunedin 11 Chatham Island's 13, Queenstown 11 degrees, uh, France Joseph 7 and Westport is on 10 Timaru has 5, Christchurch 11, Nelson on 9 and Blenheim has 5 degrees In the North Island, Wellington 12 degrees Masterton 4, Napier is uh, 14 degrees, Palmerston North 12 degrees this morning and uh, New Plymouth has 7 degrees, Tarpo 10, Rotorua a little bit warmer, 12 degrees for you Gisborne and Tauranga both on 14 degrees. Hamilton has a 9 degree temperature at the moment. Auckland's on 14 along with Tauranga and Gisborne and Whangarei, 16.4 degrees Kaitaia 16 as well. The f- short forecast for north and firstly cloudy with occasional rain. Auckland to Coromandel partly cloudy with isolated showers in the morning. Uh, cloud increasing this evening with scattered rain at night. Easterly winds for you. Waikato to Wellington including the Bay of Plenty and Central High Country also Gisborne and Hawke's Bay and the Wireapper, mainly fine weather for you. Some areas of morning and evening low cloud or fog in Nelson and the South Island, also Marlborough, Canterbury, and also for Buller and Westland as well. Apart if you've fine weather, apart from isolated showers in Westland and areas of morning and evening cloud. Uh, and fog about the Canterbury Coast. For Otago and Southland, you, and also Fiordland we'll put you in there as well, cloudy periods increasing, scattered showers about the fiords and Stewart Island, spreading elsewhere this afternoon. And for the Chatham Islands, mainly fine weather with some morning uh, cloud. Is that what it is? Morning? Yes, morning cloud, not fog. No fog over there. It's quite warm at the Chathams, isn't it? What did they have? I think it was 13 degrees. Yes, 13 degrees at the moment at the Chathams. Never been to the Chathams, but I'd like to go over there and have a look. Uh now I've got um what have I got for you? I had something lined up. I've got it here. Uh where are we? No I'm sure I had something lined up for you. Uh no, not really. I haven't, I thought I did. I seem to have lost it. What did you think of that fellow um the geopolitical analyst Peter Sion Zion Z A I H N I enjoyed that. If you missed that, um you can catch it again at five o'clock tonight when this program's replayed. Or you can go to um, any of the podcasts, Spotify, Uh, you can catch it there. Or, um, you know, we're on Podbean, but we're on all of them, I think we're on the the Apple ones. We're on everything except iHeart, they don't like me for some reason, I'm not sure why. Now, um, I've got some uh, text here that i better read out, which I've been... um, Uh, Not very good at doing that, so here we go. So starting from the top ones there. Uh, Hey, Grant, love listening to your show. Uh, Read Brian Tamaki. um, Yesterday, there is a, a great interview with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio with him. Don't believe all that you hear about him from the fake stream media. They have done a great job of spreading lies about him. Judge him by his fruits. He is the only one going into prisons and making a difference to the men of New Zealand. And uh, what have we got here? Uh, Got another one here. You're correct about the water cooling for the computer centre. I've worked on data centres and used closed-loop chilled water systems on glycol systems. Oh, so I was right about that. So water isn't wasted. Sounds like a good idea to me. I just thought of it. I thought that's what I would do anyway. Sounds like the greenies getting involved in things that they don't know about. Also, you're wrong about most Māoris. This one's from Matt. You're wrong about most Māoris. Um, oh, sorry, you're not wrong. Awfully sorry. You're not wrong about... Oh, gosh, I thought he was going to give me a a, a thrashing, a verbal thrashing. Uh, you're not wrong about most of the Māori issues. A lot of Māori are, are really nice, loving people. Well, I know that. I've met plenty of them. But there is a small militant group that have worked their way into government and Positions of power and they hate white people, they even hate Maori that aren't of their own tribe. I believe it's a spirit that comes through generations. As that, when you take a life through murder and cannibalism, you curse yourself and your future generations. Well, the Bible does say the sins of the fathers will be handed uh, to the fourth and the, and the third and the fourth generations, I think it says. So he says that they put a curse on themselves. Maori that aren't like that. Would have had the curse broken through the early missionaries, who uh, brought the message of Jesus to their forefathers, which we now know, uh, which we know many Mary accepted that message and broke the curse. Cheers, Grant. Keep up the good work, and uh, you make my day that much better. Well, thank you very much for that. He said I listen on Zeno Radio app, but if I miss the live, I listen on Spotify, and that's from Matt. Thank you very much, Matt. And so there we go. Uh, So that's good. We've got one listener. (laughs) Okay, let's uh, just go back to... Sorry, I've just had this coughing fit, and um, it seems to have stuck with me all morning. I just can't seem to get rid of it. I'll just play something and see if I can cough this sod up. I'm not sure what it is. Here's Jordan Peterson. The claim that the wage gap between men and women is only due to sex is wrong.
7: Do you agree that it's unfair if you're a woman? Not necessarily. And on average, you're getting paid nine percent less than a man. That's not fair, is it?
6: It depends on why it's happening. I can give you an example. There's a personality trait known as agreeableness. Agreeable people are compassionate and polite, and agreeable people get paid less than less agreeable people for the same job. Women are more agreeable than men.
7: Again, a vast generalisation. Some women are not more agreeable than men. Yes,
6: that's true, but. That's right, and some women get paid more than men.
7: So you're saying that by and large, women are too agreeable to get the pay rises they I'm, deserve? No,
6: I'm saying that that's one component of a multivariate equation that predicts salary. It accounts for maybe 5% of the variance, something like that. So surely so the need answer- about another twenty. you need about another 18 factors, one of which is gender. And so there it, is prejudice, there's no doubt about that, but it accounts for a much smaller proportion of the variance in the pay gap than the radical feminists claim.
0: Good morning. I can't get rid of this frog. I keep coughing all the time. So I'm, I'm probably going to have to call it quits. I think if I, I can't do that. Anyway, uh, I've got very shortly. I've got this Palestinian leader that's being uh, interviewed, and uh, that's a very interesting interview. And I think you'll enjoy listening to it. So I've got that coming up in a moment. But I'll just see. I'll see how I get on, and if I can't, we'll go straight to that. It's uh, 14 minutes past seven here at the Liberty, NZ breakfast with me, Grant Edwards. The number here is 021732423. You can text me. You can even phone if you like I'll try and answer it if I can hear it. I've got it turned down low. If I see it flashing, I'll answer it. I can even patch you through if you want to have a have a say on uh, the program. I don't mind taking live calls. Uh, we're just looking at the um, we're looking at the uh, the front page now of Radio New Zealand. We've gone back there. I'll do another quick refresh in case there's any new news. It doesn't seem to come through till much later, which is a bit of a shame for me because normally I just go from five till seven. Uh, That's how I do it. Now, the front page stories, the main story here, the election campaign fight for your eyeballs. That's advertising, isn't it? Every political party poured money into the online ads that flooded the internet for three months. We'll just have a quick look at that one then and see what they say. Debates, rallies and walkabouts got much of the attention in the election campaign, but a big part of the battle unfolded on the internet with millions of dollars spent on all sides of the political spectrum. It's uh, In his uh, victory speech to supporters on election night, incoming Prime Minister Christopher Luxon, he uh, reserved special thanks for the uh, for one part of his campaign team they left no social media meme unposted and no tiktok uh or unTiktoked, <laughs> in a in an effort to reach as many kiwis as possible with national's message he said reaching people had shifted beyond television advertising and billboards as audiences move online so you're just getting thrown at you don't you? you just like boom, they pop up and there you go can't can't get rid of the sods um So has the political advertising. Uh, Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, they published data about the political advertising of its uh, platform Google, the dominant uh, search engine, and others, uh, and sorry, the owner of YouTube. Uh, They do too. And uh, a Radio New Zealand analyst or analysis examines three months of the data leading up to the election. This is part of one of a two-part series explaining what can be found. Combined National, Labour, Act Greens, New Zealand First, and the Maori Party spent somewhere between 1.5 and 2.3 million dollars on two publishers. Uh, that is, um, which is Facebook and Google, isn't it? Uh, so 900, they spent. Act spent. Good grief. Act spent nine hundred and two thousand eight hundred and sixty two and 2,862 dollars. This can't be right. Spend on Meta, Facebook, and Instagram, and Google platforms for ads, which started running during the regulated period. So act to the big spender. So there must be some money behind them. Uh, almost a million dollars and there's a bit of a gap there for some reason. I'm not sure what that's about. Oh, there we are. So 498,600 they spent on Google and on Facebook and TikTok, I suppose that would be Instagram, rather Facebook and Instagram, four hundred and four thousand two hundred and sixty-three dollars. So, act to the big spenders. So that's nine hundred and two dollars, eight hundred and sixty-three. Uh, Labour didn't do much spending because they're not getting much money from uh, you know sort of contributors. They're not because people aren't very happy with them. Their total, uh, I'll give you that. First of all, uh, on Labour, they spend one hundred and ninety thousand one hundred dollars. Uh, 301283 on Facebook and Instagram, total of $491,384. Uh, National, they didn't spend as much as I thought. Act the big spenders. So National spent $125,800 on Google and $329,574 on Facebook and Instagram. And... Uh, the greens spent about the same as national on google one hundred and twenty six thousand nine hundred and hundred and forty two thousand and thirty six dollars on facebook and instagram a total of two sixty eight and nine hundred roughly New Zealand first just spent a hundred and uh, no they spent ninety five dollars ninety five thousand seven hundred on google and then just a small amount here i'm just try and click on it's about twenty eight thousand two hundred and Seventy-eight, so not very much at all on Facebook and Instagram, and then the Maori Party—they just spent forty-nine thousand dollars, a forty-nine eight hundred and sixty-four, forty-nine thousand that is, and a very small amount that, which I can't even get to click because it's so small. Uh, but a total of fifty-one thousand three hundred and sixty-four dollars. TikTok does not allow paid political advertising. Posts made by the parties and leaders. Um, they relied on people sharing them uh, to reach the wider audience so they could go on TikTok so long as they shared them. ACT poured almost double the amount of cash into advertising on social networks as we saw. The National or Labour spending, yep, $900,000. ACT's biggest spend equation to more ad impressions. Its ads on Meta and Google were visibly up to 98 million times, roughly twice as much as Labour ads. I would have thought twice as much as National ads. So, yeah, so it looks as though... So Labour were number two, National came at number three, then the Greens, then the Maori Party, and New Zealand First right at the bottom with the main parties, I I should say. So that's interesting, isn't it? So, gosh, uh, so he's obviously got a lot of money behind him. Didn't really do that well, though, did he? And, you know, New Zealand First spent um, almost $8,000 in total, and Liz Gunn from... NZ Loyal took 20% of his votes, because those votes would normally go to New Zealand first. She took 20%, uh, so he would have got even higher. And they didn't spend anything. She didn't spend anything. All she did was put energy into it, and all the people that are behind her, including us, we all, we all bought the caps and T-shirts and um, signs. The amount of signs out was just unbelievable. But the uh, New Zealand, uh, I, don't, I don't think NZ loyal paid for one of those uh, people. Uh, one guy had a, got a mini, a little convertible mini, covered that in the colours and drove all the way from way up north. I think it was, I think it was Cape Reinga. I'm not sure, but he he made it all the way to Gore, ended up in Bluff, and uh, Samantha Edwards has had a video on her Facebook page of this chap uh, in Bluff. That was interesting. Twenty past seven. Okay so it just goes to show and I think I really do I mean Liz is quite unwell at the moment uh, and that can happen sometimes when you're really working working your guts out and because uh, she just went just terribly long hours I don't think you'd, she would need to do that in the next election because they'll be starting now as soon as Liz is well enough they'll be starting and uh, she's got a great team 33 uh, candidates and they'll make sure that they're in next time and I think a lot of people didn't vote because they thought oh he's only got 3 candidates uh, You know, because the um, electoral commission one form said 33 candidates the other one said 3 and usually they pick up everything because they are there to help you but they didn't help her at all uh, the, the woman that was in charge of it who said, I'll resign for that. It was terrible. I should have seen that. But she says no. She was under incredible pressure, as they all were. And um, so she didn't resign. And, um, so, but they should have picked it up because they picked up everything else except that. And they thought, well, here's a way we can keep them out. That's my feeling. I don't know whether there's going to be any um, sort of update on that, whether they'll do some more investigations. But there's this thing called MOAR. If you go over to NZ Loyal, org. Nz not sure if it's there it's definitely on Rumble though and the um, that's free NZ that's Liz Gunn's um, advertising I guess what would you call it sort of a uh, sort of a, a news media um, sort of channel so go go to um, uh, Rumble and look them up NZ uh, free NZ it is free NZ and it's MOAR in, in capital letters I think it, is, it might not be capital but anyway that is something that's going to be released very soon. And it's the Mother of All Revelations. That's what it stands for. I just couldn't... I forgot for a moment what it was. But uh, so that's... And they decided... Her legal team and Liz and other advisors decided that it was best not to mention what it is, but it's going to be the Mother of All Revelations. And uh, so that that will be coming up soon too. So don't go away. Uh, Keep your eyes. Watch this space. Okay, let me go back to the main page of Radio New Zealand. I'll do a quick refresh and just see if there's anything new there. So we've got the election. We've got the Israeli minister says troops will soon see Gaza from inside. The Israeli defence minister has told troops gathering at the Gaza border that they will soon see the Palestinian enclave from inside, uh, suggesting an expected ground invasion. Wayne Brown gives himself a 7 At least out of 10 for his first year in charge. Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown reflects on a year marked by floods, uh, budgetary strife and infrastructure woes. All Blacks out to banish the demons of 2019, the semi-final loss. Uh, The All Blacks are one win away from the Rugby World Cup final. With the familiar foe Argentina standing in the way, and that's going to be on Saturday morning. I think it's around about eight o'clock that kicks off. I might even watch that. <laughs> I watched the last one sort of in, on and off, uh, but I think I, as now it's, this is yeah, I might watch this. University of Otago's extreme student initiations. Go over and, and have a look at that. It's terrible what they do. Kids are nutty, aren't they? The Bible says children are uh, folly. What is it? Um... Something about folly? Foolishness. Yes, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the the rod of correction will drive it far from them. You've got to beat the little bastards when they're naughty, and then they don't do stupid stuff like that. Otago University just out-of-control kids, probably from child-centred uh, families instead of parent-centred. Uh, lawyer argues the rapist's right to name suppression should trump the victim's rights. Ooh, that'll get a few of you upset, but it is quite a complicated one. The... Um, the person, the 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 person that committed these uh, sexual crimes, he he is convicted, and uh, he's got home detention. I think he was 14 at the time when he first started. I think there was um, at least half a dozen women that he'd actually raped uh, from 14 to 17. He was, and they were young as well. Uh, but there's all sorts of complications. I mean, he wants name suppression, and I think even one of his victims does as well. Others don't. Uh, so i don 't know what do you think? Do you think that he should have name suppression i could I could go and have a quick look at it a bit more i don 't know probably you went because uh, I mentioned it pretty early back you 're know, just after five, so I will have a quick look at it and uh you tell me what you think. The lawyer for a man who raped and sexually offended against six girls when they were all teenagers says the court should put the man 's rights over those of his victims. Wow. The man, who is now 20 years old, sexually offended against six teenage girls when he was 14 to 17 years old. He was sentenced to 12 months home detention last year. He asked for permanent name suppression on the basis that publishing his name would likely was likely to cause extreme hardship or endanger his safety. A woman connected to the man also applied to keep both their names secret. The Court of Appeal granted her name suppression but declined her application on his behalf. At a hearing in the Supreme Court on Thursday, the man's lawyer, Emma Priest, argued the principle of open justice did not apply to the youth court, and the areas of youth justice was not allowed uh, to offenders in charge to rehabilitate. It was allowed, I should say. Uh, Youth justice was to allow offenders the chance to rehabilitate. Publishing his name would also be against the United Nations Convention on the Rights of children, uh, which specified their interest should be put first, according to Priest, the lawyer. However, she acknowledged the offender and the victims in this case were covered by the convention, and both had contradictory interests. She said, obviously, the interests come up hard against each other in this case. We say that the rights of the man and the woman in seeking suppression, which is protected, uh, that must trump, if you like, the rights of the victims. They have been able to tell everything, but the names of the two appellants... Yep. so they can do that. Everything except their names. So they can talk about what happened to them, but they can't tell the names, according to this court order. She said, I think there does need to be some consideration of what publication actually achieves for the victims... However, Crown Lawyer Zana Johnston said there was a public interest in naming the man and the protections of the youth court did not apply after a person had aged, was aged 18. Naming the offender would not stop him from living a productive life but would require him to take responsibility for his actions, she said. Accountability for behaviour is a youth justice principle, said Johnston. It will make it more, more difficult, but at some point in his life, He will be able to say, Yes, I did some terrible, terrible things when I was young. After I got diagnosed with autism, I've done these courses, I've learnt this, and I now demonstrate how much I have changed my life. The victims were asking for no more than the usual consequences an offender of this type would face. She said, Three of the victims who had waived their own name to uh, right to name suppression wanted the man's name to be published for the safety of others. Their advocate, Ruth Money, said the hearing was the latest step in an arduous process which did not take into account the survivor's views or suffering. She said the suggestion that the man's right should carry more weight than the victim's was abhorrent. She said, we are not talking about an allegation. We're talking about someone who has been convicted, who has admitted all of these multiple, I believe 10, charges against a number of survivors, she said. The community's rights and certainly the survivors' rights should be privileged over anybody who has been raping multiple women. Yes, this person was young when he was committing all of these terrible sexual assaults, but what's always lost is so were the victims. She said, survivors have been gagged for long enough, and it is about time, uh, it is about the impact of suppression on them. The justice reserves their decision, it was two, more than one justice, the justices reserved their decision so what do you think? you think he should have name suppression or do you think they uh, should be out in the open you can sort of see both sides don't you hmm, I don't know, it's a pretty serious thing pretty serious, and you can always say sorry but I don't know, I think people I think people need to know really uh, who who amongst us you know, you've just got to keep an eye on so that's what they say. Um it's an interesting one, isn't it? What do you think? O two one seven three two four two three. Send me a text, tell me what you think. Egypt to restart aid to Gaza as protests rock the Middle East. Um what have we got on this one? President Biden, poor old chap. He sounds he sounds bad. Uh so Egypt agreed to reopen its border crossing with the Gaza Strip to allow aid to reach uh, Palestinians the US uh, aid said uh, as a humanitarian crisis worsened for 2.3 million people trapped in the enclave and anti-israel protest flared across the middle east Well, they flared after that bombing of the hospital when it turned out that it wasn't a bombing of the hospital done by um, israel at all in fact the hospital wasn't bombed There's no craters no nothing The hospital's fine it was a car park it was one of the terrorists um, it was one of their rockets or missiles Misfired and ended up exploding over the car park, and some people may have may have been killed. But the fact that they say that 400, I think it's 471 people uh, have been killed. This is what the Palestinians say, but they always tell lies, and there's lies on both sides. You, you know, propaganda is part of warfare, and that's just the way it is. Uh, the re- the region remained volatile in the aftermath of an explosion at the Gaza Strip. It's actually the proper title for that is the Al-Hali al Al-Arabi, Baptist hospital the Baptist actually built that hospital for them and that was late on Tuesday which Palestinian officials they said that it killed 471 people and blamed that on Israel an Israeli airstrike Israel and the United States said the cause was a failed rocket launch by Islamist militants in Gaza who denied responsibility Israel's foreign ministry spokesman for is called Laura Hayat he said the death toll from the blast was only several dozen Demonstrations and it wasn't caused by them. Demonstrations erupted in the Israeli occupied Palestinian West Bank. And you know, the other thing to remember is they were also demonstrating against uh, their own guy, the president. I think it was the own Palestinian guy. They were demonstrating against him of the PLA. Not PLA, what do they call it now? Palestine, yeah, the PLA. Uh, I can't remember his name, but they were demonstrating against him and that's not been reported here. Uh, Israeli forces shot dead two... Pal- hang on. Yeah, do, do, do. Oh, no, better. I better. Mr. Barrago Here we go. Demonstrations erupted in the Israeli-occupied uh, Palestinian West Bank, Iran, Jordan, Lebanon, Tunisia, and elsewhere, amid outrage across the Middle East over the hospital explosion. Lebanese security forces fired tear gas and water cannons at protesters throwing projectiles near the U.S. Embassy in Beirut, TV footage also showed this. Uh, Israeli forces shot dead two Palestinian teenagers in the West Bank during protests. Uh, Palestinian, So they said, uh, Palestinian officials said, yeah, well, they say that, but you know, you can't always believe it because of the Pallywood thing. While Palestinian officials' news agency, WAFA, said Israeli forces killed a Palestinian man in the West Bank village of Drus. While flying home from a less than than eight-hour visit to Israel, U.S. President Joe Biden discussed uh, aid for Gaza with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. Now, who was it? Was it the Jordan guy? He actually cancelled it, didn't he? Wasn't going to meet with the president. Anyway, they did this by phone late on Wednesday. Biden told reporters that Sisi agreed to open Rafah, That's the crossing from Egypt to Gaza to allow about 20 trucks carrying humanitarian aid into the enclave where people are desperately short of food, water, fuel and other essentials after Israel unleashed a blockade and airstrikes 12 days ago. Biden did not give a timeline for the opening. But US National Security Spokesperson John Kirby said it would occur in coming days following repairs to the road. Amid fears the conflict could spread beyond Gaza, Biden had planned to meet Arab leaders, but Jordan called off his planned summit uh, there with Egypt and Palestinian Authority after the hospital blast. Sort of jumped a bit too quick. And this headline U, uh, UN favours 100 trucks a day. While the agreement was a breakthrough, The flow of relief will still fall short of the perceived need, the United Nations aid chief Martin Griffith. He told the Security Council on Wednesday that the organization sought to bring sought to bring deliveries to Gaza back to 100 trucks a day, the level before the Israeli Hamas conflict. Biden was due to speak from the White House at 8 a.m. ET time, the Eastern time, I suppose, on Thursday. Uh, which is at midnight Greenwich Mean Time Friday about the US response to Hamas attacks against Israel and Russia's war against Ukraine the White House aide told reporters also on Thursday Prime Minister um, uh, Rishi Sunak he was due to visit uh, Israel as well Egypt which previously said that Rafah crossing was not technically closed but was inoperable due to Israeli barrages that was according to C.C and uh, Biden agreed to provide aid to Gaza in a sustainable manner. They were coordinating aid efforts with the international organization under the United Nations. During Biden's visit, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office said Israel would let food, water, medicines reach the southern Gaza via Egypt. Biden faced intense global pressures on uh, to secure an Israeli commitment to ease the plight of civilians in the small, densely populated coastal enclave. Biden pledged 100 million US dollars in US assistance for civilians in Gaza. I wonder if it'll get there, uh, and also in the West Bank. And so there we are. So that just goes on and on and on. Um, the Gaza Health Ministry said 3,478 Palestinians have been killed and 12,065 injured in Israeli airstrikes. But you know, you can't really, you can't really believe those figures. Because, as I said before, and we we all know this, people that follow wars and things that that uh, propaganda is part of it. You know the stuff that um, uh, Jacinda Ardern said when people were kept in isolation when they came back into the country. Uh, she said we give them what was it, two weeks or two or three weeks of sustained propaganda. I'll never forget that. Her saying that she should never have said that because that's sort of like an in-house little communist trick. because you know, you know, propaganda means it's not true. <laughs> So you could argue that she was. She knew that they were telling them, feeding them with lies. They had all the information, anyway. So uh, a source familiar with the matter, this is in the Middle East, uh, and said that Biden was considering asking for a ten billion dollars in aid for Israel as soon as Friday. So oh, for Israel, oh, good on them. That's like Israel needs all the aid they can get. It's a big, big thing that's happening. I mean, just don't forget who attacked who. OK, the Islamic terrorists inside Gaza Strip with the help of the Egyptians, the Jordanians, this is from news that I've been getting, uh, and but mainly from Iran and also Syria. And so they've got a lot of enemies. And inside Gaza, 90%, no, 80%, I tell a lie. Uh, 80% of people living there support Hamas. And I think you would probably find the figure would be very similar right throughout, um, you know, even in Qatar. Uh, Muslims, most Muslims support the Palestinian cause. Um, they don't need to be there. They're not um, Palestinians. There's no such thing as a Palestinian. Never has been, never been a Palestinian state. Uh, there was a place called Palestine, and that was only because the Romans wanted to get rid of the name of, of Israel. It's been Israel since the... Uh, the 13th century BC, it was Israel, after Israel, I think Joshua. He uh, It's always been taken by conflict. Uh, so Joshua took over 13th century BC and uh, he took it off the Canaanites, who were enemies of God. God punished them with using the the Israelis. And then, uh, I'm a bit hazy as to what happened in the middle there. I know that in, uh, there was the Ottoman Empire they had it from I think the 1500s so the early 16th century and right up until 1917 there may have been some but it's always been by conflict it's a very very uh, deadly piece of ground promise to all the descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob not Abraham and Ishmael and a lot of people don't realise that the Arabs and the Jews are half brothers Abraham had two sons probably had more But one, he couldn't have a son. God promised him his descendants would be, you know, as many as the grains of the sands, I think, of the sea or the stars in the heaven. He he said, I'm going to promise you a lot of descendants. And he certainly did, because his descendants are the Muslims. You know, the Muslims, they're called Muslims later. Uh, The Arabs and the Jews. And he's the father of both. But he didn't promise through Hagar who was an Egyptian handmaiden. So all the Arabs basically are pretty much Jewish-Egyptian. Um, That's their heritage. Their father, the father of the Arab nations, is Ishmael. So she was a, a, uh, a sort of like a, an indentured servant, not a slave. They didn't, they, the Bible condemns slavery, man-stealing, that sort of thing. But there's plenty of indentured servitude. Um, anyway, so she... Uh, Sarah I think Sarah her name was said to Abraham uh, take my handmaiden and have a baby with her because I don't believe I think she's quite old in the 90s I don't believe she was barren I don't think I'm going to be able to give you a child so she didn't trust God because God had said that she would have a child her he's the husband and she's the wife but no so she said take my handmaiden Hagar and have a child with her and so that happened. Uh, the boy was born, and I think he was about 16 years old from memory, uh, when God gave Sarah a child. His name was Isaac. And Isaac is the son of the promise, not Ishmael. And anyway, so uh, the boy, the older boy, the, um, the Egyptian boy, half Egyptian, half Jewish, uh, they, he was causing a lot of grief. And so Abraham and Sarah banished them both, Hagar and the child. And uh, God promised Hagar that uh, He would make her, that you know, her descendants would be a great nation, which they are. But that that uh, Ishmael would be a wild man, and uh, that's certainly been the history of the Arabs, hasn't it? Wild men, right down through since when uh, he was born. Um, and he shouldn't have done it. Both Sarah and Abraham shouldn't have. They should have trusted God that He would give them a son, Sarah and Abraham. So the promise was reiterated to Isaac, and that's uh, the half brother of Ishmael, the the father of the Arabs, and it was reiterated again to Jacob, the son of Ish- of Isaac, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and uh, so that promise is for the Jew. It's from the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, what's the promise? The promise is all the land as far as you can see from the river Euphrates through to the Mediterranean Sea and as far north as almost Russia, just about the, the bottom of Russia, to the top of North Africa. That is going to be when Jesus Christ returns and rules from Jerusalem, either him or King David, I'm not sure, There is some debate there on that. I'm not sure. I'm not going to argue about that. But we know that all the Jews, all the tribes, the 12 tribes, will be back in Israel after the, um, uh, when the Lord returns to the earth and gets rid of the Antichrist and we're going to have a theocracy on this earth for a thousand years of peace. A thousand years of peace. Won't that be wonderful? It's 17 minutes to 8 uh, and we're talking about uh, the arab and the jews and uh, so they are half brothers that's something you need to remember and i often think gosh they just hate each other with a passion well the arabs hate them i actually don't see that same hatred i mean i see a few a few people in israel now are really fed up you know they they've just been uh, you know they bomb people don't realize that in southern israel they have rockets every day they have you know a few rockets every day but then they had this, on the October the 7th, there was a massive invasion. And they had help, all right. They had help from outside. And uh, so, uh, you know, Israel has to defend. And, you know, you've got to ask yourself, if you're a Christian, you know, you've read the Old Testament, you've read the stories of David and Goliath, and all that David did. It's very interesting. And, um, you know, he was, the Bible says that, that um, he was loved more than any man by God. And this is King David. And it said that, um that he always did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, and some of you are saying, oh, what about, what about Bathsheba? He went and shagged another woman's, another man's um, wife, Uriah the Hittite, one of his faithful officers in the Israeli army. And he went off with her, and what was he doing at home there? And she was having a bath. She was obviously seducing him, having a, having a bath up on the rooftop. And David looked down and saw her and then called her up to his chambers, ended up getting her up the duff and uh, to try and cover it up um he he uh, well he, first of all he wanted Uriah to go you know because the men weren't to sleep with their wife the night before that they were uh going back into battle and Uriah was faithful he slept at the foot at the foot at the door the foot of the door of king david's uh to to guard it and he didn't go back to his wife uh bathsheba and david was kind of told him to get back to your wife you know blah, blah, blah. he knew he wasn't supposed to so he disobeyed the king but he knew what was right And uh, Dave was really upset about that, oh, far out, so I'm going to get caught. She's up the duff, she's pregnant with my child, and um, this is not going to look good. Not good for her, and uh, not good for me, and not good for Uriah. So do you know what he did? He he had another one of his generals lead Uriah into battle uh, against the Philistines, and sort of got him into battle, and then they all pulled back and left him there, and he was killed. So you might say that King David took a hit out on Uriah the Hittite and so he had him killed and uh, and yet this Bible verse, I think it's in Kings somewhere in Kings, book of Kings, chapter 5 I think I don't know, I can't remember, but you can look it up uh, that David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life save the matter of Uriah the Hittite so that was the only thing he ever did wrong Everything else he did right. A lot of people just cannot accept that, that David could be so loved by God and do the right things. He killed tens of thousands of men. Tens of thousands. He killed more than Saul, his predecessor. Incidentally, Saul was like head and shoulders above everybody else as far as height goes. He was, I think, most men, and they were pretty big, had some big boys, you know. Um... He was a big, tall man. So, uh, yeah, so David, King David, what would he do? Well, uh, something like that did actually happen. I haven't got the full details. I can't quite remember. But vaguely, uh, the enemy came and took, while they are away fighting somewhere else, this is King David and his men, the enemy came into their camp and took all the women away, all the wives and children and uh, elderly. David came back with his men, and they went straight after them, straight away just like what happened on October the 7th but not, not probably not quite as bloody as that they took them all prisoners and uh, so David went out and he killed every single one of those people that took them got rid of the whole lot and brought everybody back safely including his wives and he had multiple wives multiple wives hang on I thought you were only supposed to have one wife doesn't seem right does it And yet it said, David did that which is right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life. And he had all these wives. And you go, oh, that was back then. Oh, but God didn't agree with it. No, no, he had it. He should have allowed it. You know, that's what they say. That's what they say. Carl Bromley said that to me. (laughs) Oh, God allowed it. Oh, is that right, Carl? Well, why would God have given David all of Saul's wives as a gift if he didn't condone polygyny? Interesting, isn't it? And the oh, it says in the Bible, you know, the husband, you know, you're to be the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife, yes, if you're a bishop or a deacon. And isn't it interesting how we've we've created our own sort of religion, our own little idea of what's right and what's wrong, outside of the Bible? It doesn't say anywhere. This is the tradition, though, isn't it? Just one wife. But the Bible doesn't condemn having um, multiple wives, a woman can't have more than one husband we know that because Jesus said a woman is bound to her husband so long as he liveth which probably explains why men were killed by their wives in the old days <laughs> get rid of them so they can marry again pretend they're a widow Yeah. so yep yeah, women are to be the husband of one wife what about divorce what about woman that, women that have been divorced are they allowed to marry again not according to the Bible not until her husband the first one has died Jesus said a woman is bound to her husband so long as her husband liveth you know words do have meanings so how do we think that we can override what the Bible says by by divorce do some people magically think that if they get divorced they magically you know, start again what would you call a born again virgin <laughs> very interesting and yet men can have multiple wives according to the Bible and you think about it psychologically women that have multiple partners they become quite hard it's not good for them it's not good for a for women to to have multiple men it makes them turns them into very hard women it's very bad for them so women you need to stay pure girls you need to stay pure ladies Mothers, teach your children, teach your young boys to treat women with respect, girls with respect, and don't go sowing your wild oats until it's time to get married. And there's all sorts of reasons for that, medical reasons as well. In homeopathy we learnt that disease is spread through sexual contact, and that even though you think you can suppress it, you might get some disease, some sexually transmitted disease, and you go to your doctor and he's gives you something and you think you can suppress All they can do is suppress it. They cannot cure it. It's a miasm and it stays with you and it eventually kills you. And all, they, all they're doing is suppressing it and making it worse, making you more sick. And the only way really to to, um, to get rid of a, a venereal disease is through homeopathic treatment. That's the only way. All the other ways, through sorcery, which is the English word for the Greek word pharmakia that is not, that you will never be able to cure yourself of a venereal disease and if you ask venereologists, if you talk to people that know about that, they know that all they're doing is suppressing disease and it just comes back as a tertiary stage and it becomes chronic and then eventually you die from it what does the Bible say? the wages of sin is death we won't make a liar out of God, will we? No, we certainly will not. Okay, uh, so I will um, change tack a wee bit there. Interesting though, isn't it, what the Bible says? And isn't it interesting that most of us don't really believe the words on the page of our Bible? We, I find that fascinating, that you know, you can show someone the verse, there it is, that's what it says there, clear, oh, oh yeah, but that, what that really means is, and when someone says to you, now what that really means is, then you know that you're in trouble with them; that they're they're on shaky ground. Uh, the Bible says what it means and means what it says. God wrote the book for us, after all. So why would we why would we need to go? You know, there's even a Bible verse in the New Testament that says you need not that any man teach you. So God will teach you when you read the Bible. And the Bible's sort of like you know people look at it and they go, oh gosh, it's so boring, and they usually start in Genesis. And it's, you know, pretty hard going, isn't it? Sort of the meat of the word. But really, we really should start in the New Testament. We're living in New Testament times, so that's the place to start, isn't it? But it's still really boring. And it's not until you become a Christian till you just... It's just something that happens, isn't it? You just, you just believe by faith. I believe that Jesus Christ died on that Roman cross 2,000 years ago for me and for you, but for me. You know, people say, oh, he died for the sins of the world. Yeah, but he died for you. If you confess your sins to Jesus Christ, not to anyone else, the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And not only that, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness just by calling upon him. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It means what it says. It's by faith, for by grace are ye saved through faith not of works lest any man should boast I think it's great it's so simple isn't it it's so simple little children get it so I just have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for me yes I believe that by faith can't see it and even if I took you like I said in a time machine I've said this often and took you to the foot of the cross and said do you see that man up there that's Jesus and he's God in human form he's the son of God which is God in human form he's laying down his life for you he became one of us fully man and took uh, all your sins in his body and my sins if we believe he died for us his blood is so precious and so powerful that it can wash away all of our sins but only if we believe he died for us if you don't believe he died for us, it doesn't work. He didn't die for the sins of the world. He died for the sins of the world if they believe. But if they don't believe, it's all over. You don't have to do anything else. One of the thieves on the cross cursed him. The other one said, Lord, you only get that in the King James, Lord, when you go into your kingdom will you remember me? And Jesus said to him, today you'll be in paradise. Because he called him Lord. He knew who he was. He believed him. He believed him. That's what God wants you. He wants you to believe him. That's the gospel. I think it's always been the gospel. Believe God. Abraham believed God. Sarah didn't. Got involved with Hagar. Ended up having the Arab nations. Gave birth to the Arab nations. Trouble. The wages of sin is death. You've got to obey God. That's really important. You've got to obey your Creator it's like the potter and the clay isn't it you know if you're the potter the clay doesn't turn around and tell you whether, you, whether it wants to be a piss pot or a, a vase in the, in the parlour <laughs> does it you just do what you're told you know I'll just crunch you up and slop you over there <laughs> I'll make a new one the potter is in charge God is in charge not you we don't turn around and tell God what to do six minutes to wait yeah so that's what I think anyway what do you think you tell me what you think. Text me through 21 Do you think it's a load of bollocks? Or do you think there could be some truth to it? And why is it when God said that he'd scattered the Israelis to the four corners of the earth and that exactly what happened when Titus invaded Jerusalem and sacked the temple in Jerusalem? And Jesus, what did he say? He said not one stone would be left unturned. We read that in Matthew 24. And you know what happened? when they set the whole city alight the temple was alight there was gold in the temple because you know it was solomon's temple all that gold melted and they chipped the the gold off the stones not one stone was left unturned chipping the gold off so what jesus said came true did not it about 40 years later after he'd said that and then they were scattered throughout the four corners of the earth for rejecting their messiah and then he said, I'll gather you from the four winds of the earth, or the four corners. I am get confused with them. when the Lord returns and gathers the elect. I think it's four winds. But he said, I'll gather you. This is the, the Jewish people he's talking about. I'll gather you from all over the world. In 1948, they came back into the land from all over the world, all over Europe. And they're still pouring in from all over the world. That's a miracle. How could that happen? It did. They didn't take it by conquest. They were given it by the British who took it by conquest in 1917. And in 1948, they gifted it back to the rightful owners, the Israelis, the Jewish people from the 12 tribes of Israel and Judah. Well, Judah's one of them. They're just called Israel now. The 12, the twelve, The descendants of Abraham... Isaac and Jacob yep and they're there now and what did Jesus say when you see these things happen you know it's all happening man we're getting pretty close you better, you better make sure you know where you're going when you kick the bucket don't you think because the return of Jesus Christ is imminent I believe and I don't know the Bible says that the Christians those that believe including the Jews that believe the Messianic uh, Jewish Christians Messianic Jews, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Most of them don't. But one day they'll all they all will when they see him. The Bible says every eye shall see him. It's a bit difficult on a spinning ball, I would think. How would every eye see Jesus returning? The Son of Man is called in that verse in, in Matthew twenty-four. How could he see how could we all see him returning if we lived on a spinning ball? That's another thing you've got to think about. Whoa. <laughs> Uh, do we live on a flat earth what is the what is the evidence how do we really know we live on a spinning ball spinning at a thousand miles per hour I think it goes around the sun they say at sixty something thousand miles per, per hour how do we know that's really true what is the evidence I mean was the, were the moon landings were they true did they really land on the moon why can't they go back there now How did they get through Van Allen's belt? Didn't affect them then. So maybe they didn't go. Maybe it was all just a scene. Just a studio with lighting. Multiple light sources, that sort of thing. There's a great uh, documentary called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon. And the name of the writer and director, his name escapes me just at the moment. But I'll remember it. But just be careful, because some, there's some ones out there... I should really have the name, and you can go direct and get it from him. But um, there are some the ones out there that uh, like, pretend to mock it. But if you, if you can find it, a funny thing happened on the way to the moon, and it's even on YouTube, which normally, because a lot of Flat Earth material was taken away... Uh, I mean, if you just type in the words... I think, I, I don't know if this is still true, but if you typed in the words Flat Earth, it would go straight to NASA. That would be the first one on the Google sites, cause, because Google... And YouTube were involved and they took down a lot of, uh, there was some really good information back in 2014 that all of a sudden, I think it was about 2016 or 17, it all stopped and all we saw was just you know, people, um, you know, just all, we didn't see anything from, from the, the genuine flat earth inquiry, nothing at all it was all gone, whole websites were taken down, YouTube, all you saw was um, uh, just people mocking it really and uh But so what is the evidence? How do we know that we actually live on a spinning ball? You you know, you you could say, oh, because everyone says, you know... Oh, because, um, what's his name? The black guy? Can't remember. Because they say... Because I've been to the moon, I've seen the pictures, seen the videos. Pretty grainy. Lots of people reckon they're fake. So why don't you go and have a look at that uh, documentary? I think it's about an hour long. A funny thing happened on the way to the moon. Well worth it. And I, I'm sorry I can't give you the name of the director and the writer just at this moment. All right. Well, we've got um, uh, we've got news coming up in just a moment. News from TNT Radio. And uh, so, yep, I'll bring you that in just a moment. I was going to play some other things, but I got a bit carried away, didn't I? So. Yep, that'll be, um, that'll be with us in just uh, a couple of ticks of a uh, couple of shakes of a lamb's tail.
4: Radio. live Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. GOP Representative Jim Jordan decided on Thursday to not move forward with his bid to become the next House Speaker and instead supported a proposal to elevate fellow Republican Congressman Patrick McHenry from his post as Speaker Pro Tem to unelected Speaker for a temporary period of time. Jordan made the move after failing twice this week in full House votes to secure enough ballots to win the Speakership. McHenry was appointed to the position of pro temp speaker after California GOP Representative Ken McCarthy was ousted from the speakership post roughly two weeks ago. The strategy of the House Republican Conference, which controls the chamber, is to put a member in place, then try to have that person preside over legislative matters until a new speaker can be elected. The conference has been split on deciding a new speaker, with far-right members largely opposing McCarthy, then other nominees. The nonchalant audio confession of Joran Vondersloot, who admitted to killing Natalie Holloway in 2005 after they met at a bar in Aruba, has been released. Vondersloot was sentenced to 20 years in prison in Birmingham, Alabama, after pleading guilty to extortion and wire fraud in a plea deal. During the deal, he agreed to reveal what happened to Natalie, who was 18 when she disappeared, in a case that has captured the nation's attention for two decades.
5: She tells me she doesn't want me to, to feel her up. Uh, I insist I keep feeling her up either way Um, and uh, she knees me, uh, she ends up kneeing me in the crotch, Uh, when she knees me in the crotch uh, I get up uh, on the beach and I kick her extremely hard in in the face, Um, yeah she's laying down uh, unconscious possibly even uh, even dead, but definitely unconscious. And uh, I see uh, right next to her, there's a there's a huge uh, cinder block laying on the beach.
3: When you say cinder block, uh, looking
2: at the walls of the uh, place, is it like those?
5: The exact same cinder blocks. I see a, a huge cinder block laying on the on the beach. Uh, I take this and. Uh, Yeah, I I, I smash her head in with it completely. Uh, Yeah, her face basically, you know, uh, collapses in. Even though it's dark, I can see her face is collapsed in.
4: The German government wants to prioritize weapons deliveries to Israel amid its conflict with Hamas. According to unnamed government officials, commercial applications from companies for arm exports will be processed and approved with priority given the current situation in the Middle East. The report comes after Chancellor Olaf Scholz expressed support for Israel in his conflict with Hamas, saying that there is only one place for Germany, that place is at Israel's side. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says that it's more bad news for Ukraine.
2: Well, hardly a day goes by now where you don't see bad news for Zelensky in the headlines. And look at this latest article here and this report saying that Germany is rerouting some of its support away from Ukraine and over to Israel. So yet another main European sponsor that looks like they're kind of backing off of the Zelensky regime in Kiev. They don't want to be in the open-ended proxy war anymore. And this latest conflagration in the middle east has provided a real convenient excuse for a lot of countries to do just that get out of this ukraine project that they really probably never wanted to be in to begin with but were strong armed into it by the united states now israel is attracting all of the cash all of the arms and it's the new cause du jour they're very very unhappy in kiev for tnt radio this is patrick Henningson.
0: Thank you, Patrick, and we'll hear more from them. You can catch them on uh, tntradio.live if you want to go over and listen to them. Very good, 24-7. I think they've got about 44 uh, radio announcers, and it goes 24 hours, seven days a week, and uh, news on the hour, every hour. Fantastic. And also, don't forget our own... Uh, radio reality check radio you can find them at realitycheck dot radio who else have we got out there well then there's me <laughs> and uh, we're found at Liberty NZ uh, if you 're on the Zeno app xeno FM thanks very much to everybody listening there. there there's lots of apps and lots of listeners and uh, but so you whatever your preferred one we're adding new apps all the time and uh, so we've got listeners in Canada And the United States And uh, a few in Australia Not that many in Australia actually A few here in New Zealand But most of our listeners actually are in You wouldn't believe it Canada and the United States Which I find quite extraordinary But I think it's the country music they like They probably tune out when I start talking Especially when I start talking about the Bible eh? You don't like that do you? No Never mind I can't I have to do it If I don't do it um, I don't know I won't be blessed I've got to do it I have to do it I want to do it And I love sharing the, I love sharing what's within me Uh, In a moment, we will give you, or I will give you the news. No, no, I won't. I'll give you the weather. It'll be news about the weather. How about that?
8: This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live.
0: All right, seven minutes past eight. Thanks very much for joining me. This uh, that's my lot. But uh, before I do, I'll give you the um, the details on weather. The, firstly, the extremes. Napier is the highest temperature at the moment, seventeen point two degrees for you. Uh, Oamaru, have the or Oamaru, however you want to say seven point two, which is still quite warm, isn't it? Not too bad. That's the coldest place down there, and uh, I think it's between somewhere between Dunedin and Timaru, I think, or is it? Yeah, I think it's Dunedin and Timaru, Oamaru. Uh, Castle Point is the windiest place there. Not too bad, 57 kilometres, which is probably, I mean, it's a bit of a blow, but what's that, 650, not like 30, it's probably about, oh, I don't know, 28 knots or something like that, so it's, here. Yeah, fair hiking. Uh, Invercargill, they've got a bit of rain happening there, 1.2 millimetres of rain uh, pouring down at in Invercargill at the moment, so that's the wettest place in the country. Stewart Island has 10 degrees, Invercargill's warm, and I can see why it's warm, is because it's raining And so that cloud cover there keeps it nice and warm. Uh, Invercargill's on 10 degrees. Dunedin, even warmer because it's doing the same there, but not quite as much as Invercargill. 10 and 12 degrees, Invercargill and Dunedin. Chatham Islands is 13 degrees. Queenstown's on 10. Timaru's 6. Christchurch, 11 degrees. And Blenheim's on 9. Across to the west coast, did I do Queenstown? 10 degrees. Uh, On the west coast, we've got uh, France-Joseph... There with the Glacier. What's the other one? Fox, isn't it? Fox and Franz Joseph. Seven degrees there. Westport a bit further north on the west coast. Uh, they've got uh, 11 degrees. Nelson's also on 11. Across the Cook Strait to Wellington, the capital city, right at the bottom of the South Island for anyone listening overseas. 12 degrees there at the moment at this time at uh, eight minutes past eight. Masterton's on nine degrees. Napier's very warm there today. Got the highest temperature of 17.2 degrees. Back to Palmerston, 12 degrees for you. New Plymouth, next to Mount Egmont, 11 degrees, along with Taupo. Rotorua, it's a little warmer then, but only just by one degree. 12 degrees for Rotorua. Uh, Gisborne has 16 degrees. Tauranga, a little bit cooler there, 15 at the moment. Hamilton has 11 degrees. Auckland's quite warm at 15 degrees. Huangare, top of the pops almost. It's almost up there with, uh, where, where are we? I think it's Napier. With 17.2, Huangarei has 17, and Kai Tyre is on 16 degrees at the moment. Well, the short forecast for Northland, cloudy periods, occasional rain, especially in the north and east, uh, Auckland and Coromandel Peninsula, partly cloudy, isolated showers this morning, cloud increasing this evening and scattered rain tonight. For Waikato to Wellington, also for the Bay of Plenty in the central high country and also Gisborne and Hawke's Bay and the Waiarapa. Mainly fine weather, some areas of morning and evening low cloud or fog and for the Nelson, Marlborough, Canterbury and also Buller and Westland, fine weather apart from isolated showers in the Westland area and areas of morning and evening low cloud or fog about the Canterbury coast. For Otago, Southland and Fiordland, cloudy periods, scattered showers about the fjords and Stewart Island, spreading elsewhere this afternoon. And finally for the Chatham Islands, mainly fine weather, cloudy periods this morning. Well, uh, on Saturday, what have we got there for the North Island, occasional rain from Waikato to Gisborne northwards, uh, fine weather elsewhere, isolated showers in Hawke's Bay and the Waiarapa though. Tomorrow, Saturday, for the South Island, becoming fine in the west, but showers in the south spreading elsewhere. Uh, east of the divide Sunday for the north showers in the east easing and becoming isolated late fine spells elsewhere but isolated showers north of Taupo uh, yeah. and in the south island on Sunday mainly fine weather in the west scattered showers elsewhere though clearing in the south later in the day Monday it looks like it's going to be fine in the south Isolated showers uh, and fine spells elsewhere. That's for the North Island. In the South Island, on Monday, as we head back to work, isolated showers in the northeast, clearing and then mostly fine weather. A few showers developing in the southern westland and Fiordland later in the day. The, uh, the what do you call it? The uh, extended forecast for the Chatham Islands. It's a long one. A few light showers and southwesterlies. That's from now right up until Monday for you. Okay, it's just gone 12 past 8. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope to um, see you again on Monday morning, Lord willing, at 5 o'clock. Be there or be square. Today's best country on the wireless.